Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. The importance of this topic, right, that we're, that we're exploring together. So first, just, just a few kind of overarching logistical things, just so you can orient to the day. Um, we'll take lunch, 12.30, 12.45, somewhere around there for an hour. Um, we'll take a break halfway through the morning, uh, and then also halfway through the afternoon. Um, so if you're able to take care, hold your bladder until the break, that's great. If not, take care of yourself as you need to. Um, there are handouts on all of the seats, and you also should have received an index card. Um, you won't need it right away, um, but we'll be using that index card this morning. So when we get there, if you don't have one, I think there's a volunteer about who has extras and can hand them out. So I think that's it, as just in terms of the flow of our day. Why don't we start with, um, with a short guided meditation, just to kind of settle in and arrive and uh, orient towards what's bringing us together. So to begin, I should have said this a moment ago because most of you have your eyes closed already. So <laughs> if, you, if you'll humor me, um, I want to invite you to, to start your meditation by actually orienting visually to, to the room and the beautiful surroundings here. So just taking a moment to look around. This is something that as mammals, um, our body wants to do naturally, just to have a sense of where we are. And it helps send a signal to our nervous system that we're safe, physically. That the surroundings are um, free from a threat or danger. And so the key here is the sense of exploration. So see if you can just get curious. Even if you've been in this room a dozen times before, can you notice something new? What colors do you notice? What kind of lines? The differences in light? And as you explore visually, notice if there's any effect. Even just a subtle sense of settling or arriving. Yeah, seeing a few people maybe take a deep breath. So this process of orienting, of the definition of orienting is connecting to our environment through our senses. This is our organism's way of knowing where we are. Not just like in our head, like, oh yeah, I'm here at Spirit Rock, like actually knowing, knowing where the exits are, who's around us. Our bodies like to know that. And so when our body gets that information, not just the mind, when the body gets that information, something inside usually can unwind or settle a little bit. And we'll come back to this later. It's an important tool. 
So having oriented a little, I'll invite you, if you'd like, to turn your attention inwards more, either by closing your eyes or just gazing down at the ground in front of you. And to begin, see if you can feel the weight of your body. The sense of heaviness or gravity. Maybe even the places where your body touches the chair the cushion or the ground. See if you can let this downward force of gravity, the sense of rootedness from the contact with the earth Begin to bring your attention into your body and into the present moment a little bit more fully. You might see if you can begin to soften or relax your face, your jaw, your upper body, the shoulders and arms. So there's this loosening, softening in the upper body, and then the sense of gravity, the weight, this downward movement. This too is another useful tool that we'll return to. This process of softening or relaxing the upper body and then sensing the weight or gravity. In your own time, you might begin to notice that the body's breathing. If you're coming in late, don't be bashful. There's seats over here, up front, 
over here, just kind of make your way in. And as you tune into your breathing, if you like, see if you can pay a little bit more attention to the out-breath. You could even lengthen or extend the out-breath a little bit. Letting the air out in a thin, slow stream. Doing that two or three times as an experiment, if you like. Letting your breath return to normal. And allowing your attention to rest with either the sensations of sitting, just the sense of the body, its weight, or if it's easeful, the sensations of breathing.
Last, I want to invite you to consider briefly what's bringing you here today. What is it that you're longing for or hoping for inside? What is it you would like more of in your life? Whatever you hear, whatever you find, see if you can boil it down to its essence. Just one word, two words. If you had to sum it up. What's bringing you here? Just notice how it feels to become aware of that deeper value or intention. Is there any effect that articulating it has? So our theme for today is skillful speech in difficult situations. And um, I'm curious just to hear a few of what those intentions or values are that, that are bringing us together. So just what was that word or what was that phrase that you came to at the end of that short guided meditation? Anyone willing to share? And I'll just repeat it. Yeah. Uh, no more fear. Fearlessness. Less reactivity. Less reactivity. So um, would you say more balance or choice? 
Less reactivity. That's how it lives for you, yeah. So less of that. Yeah, so one thing that's interesting about these is um, see as we do this if there's a difference for you between stating it in the negative versus stating it in the positive. So fearlessness, what's it like to think about courage or strength? Less reactivity. What's it like to, to orient towards more balance or choice or awareness? Other uh, intentions, yeah. Respect. Respect. Equanimity. Uh, graceful connection. Graceful connection. This gentleman. Neutrality. Confidence. Confidence. And notice how it is for you to hear these words that others are saying. Yeah, in the back there. Finding one's voice. Mm-hmm. Expressing one's needs. Yeah, let's let's go this way. Insight and compassion. Insight and compassion, please. Grounded action. Grounded action. More love, more love and peace. Clarity. And behind you. Belonging. Clarity, belonging, and presence. Peace. peace. Slowing down to speak. Permission. Permission. Say more. Permission for what? Uh huh. So that space to speak. Sense of empowerment. Does that capture it for you, or is it a different flavor? Just the space to speak. Having that space. Yeah. Please. Pausing. Pausing. Yeah. Receptivity. Joy. Joy. That I'm a safe place for others. So to, uh, to give others the experience of safety, that, that one can be a safe, offer a safe space for others. Letting go. Letting go. Yeah. Resilience. Resilience. Maybe one or two more. Understanding compassion and compassionate understanding. Respectfully placing boundaries. Respectfully placing boundaries. All right, we better get started. How much time do we have? <laughs> Great. So um, I always find this, this um, reflection really uh, inspiring and, and also... Um, kind of enlightening because we know what we want. Whether it's the space to speak, understanding compassion, insight, peace, pausing, grounded action, like we can sense what it is we want to move towards. And then there's that and then there's that gap of like how do I do that? How do I not only stay connected to this intention but actually have the skills to manifest it, right? There's a difference between having a value or an intention and having tools. So my hope today is to offer you a bunch of concrete tools. And as much as possible, I'm um, endeavoring to make our time hands-on, giving you activities and practices and reflections
I want to begin just with a, a very short definition of this word skillful, because it, it carries this particular meaning within the contemplative practice of, of, of Buddhism. And skillful means that it's going in a direction that leads to benefit and well-being, whereas unskillful means it's causing harm. So skillful speech, in this definition, in this framework, doesn't mean getting our way. It doesn't mean getting what I want. It means it's supporting us as human beings to learn how to meet needs our own and others, how to contribute to the well-being of this planet. Which goes beyond the human species, right? How do we use our words in difficult situations to move that forward, to contribute towards well-being, rather than in the direction of confusion, pain, disconnection, harm, and so forth? And so I would, I would identify all of those intentions and values that we just named as skillful intentions. Those are all intentions that go in that direction of co- contribution well-being for oneself, for others, and for life. So I'd like to begin um, first with uh, a little bit of like crowdsourcing some of the wisdom that's already in this room. We've each been on the planet at least a couple decades, if not longer. So we've learned a few things. So I want to invite us to explore two questions, just very briefly. One is, what makes difficult conversations difficult? What is it about a conversation that we will later say to someone, man, that was a really difficult conversation? Or what's bringing you here today that you you think about conversations as difficult conversations. What is that? So what makes a conversation difficult? And then the other side. What helps? What do you know already that helps in those difficult conversations? So I want to take um, about 10 minutes, maybe maybe a little bit longer. We'll check in after 10 and see if we want like a couple more minutes to just finish up the thoughts or ideas. Um, to have a conversation with two or three other people. So form a group of three or four near you and talk about these two questions. What makes a conversation difficult and what helps? So let's take 10 minutes to do that. Groups of three or four. You might need to move around or shift your chairs. And I'll ring a bell after 10 minutes to check in.
still have that like beside you. And then I, I work with my wife at home, we have a presence at home, so, you know, she, she's very strong, well, at least I think she's very strong, but she has her ideas about how to do things, and if I don't do them that way, you know, I don't think she's trained a person on me, but it just kind of comes across that way, so being okay with that energy being in the room, but accepting that, you know, my ways that I want to go to
So just a quick check-in. How many groups would like a little bit more time? Raise your hand if you want a little bit more time. Okay, let's take two more minutes just to wrap up your thought and the conversation. We'll take two more minutes. So thank your friends. So let's talk about this briefly. So what do we know about what makes a difficult conversation difficult? And... Uh, Okay, so, um, so could we say a perception of threat? Yeah, so when there's a threat and that sense of, of fight, flight, freeze mechanism comes in. What else do we know? Yeah, in the back. 
Yeah, so if there's, no, if there's no common goal, if we don't have a shared purpose, what else? You can just call out. Body language. Uh-huh, what about body language? If it's large or loud or... Uh-huh. When someone, sometimes when someone gets large and loud with me, I feel like they're really interested and passionate. <laughs> okay, so... So, so body language that contributes to a sense of threat. So it's, so it's, um, so body language, we could say that codes, because a lot of that's cultural, right? In terms of how we're interpreting it and what's, what, what meaning we're making. So body language that codes as threat. You said swearing. So, um, so could we say, um, like verbal aggression. All right, what else? Mm-hmm. Okay, so assumptions, judgment, mm-hmm. defensiveness. Yeah, so fixation on being right. Okay. So not not listening. Interrupting. Interrupting or um, again, some of that is some of that's relative, right? So I grew up in a Jewish family, and the way that we show our love and care for one another is to begin speaking before the other person finishes. <laughs> that says that I'm interested in what you're saying. So some of that, too, is going to be relative or cultural. But sometimes, speaking before someone else is finishing, commonly known as interrupting, and we'll talk more about that later. Um, talking over someone. Talking over someone, yeah. That happens with relatives. Yes, it happens with relatives. Uh, invalidating. So, um, so lack of empathy, would that capture it? What does invalidating mean to you? So disagreement? No. Different than disagreement. So actively invalidates your perspective. Um, Gaslighting. Gaslighting. So, um, so, so lack of empathy, lack of ability to see things from from multiple perspectives. Uh huh. Okay. So dismissive. Dismissive, um, no empathy, minimizing, mm-hmm. mm, misunderstanding. So a focus on past behavior, and I'm, I'm guessing when you say that you mean with a lack of willingness to recognize the potential for change. Right, like like a fixed view. Is that is that right? Yeah. So fixed view from past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great. So so this is this is a particular kind of assumptions where um, we're stereotyping. 
based on group membership. So, and we could keep going, right? What's interesting about this list to me is this could be occurring in either person, right? Some of these show up in us, right? Like if we have assumptions or if we're being judgmental or defensive or on the, or on the part of the other person. Yeah? A number of these have to do with our emotional response, right? Or the other person's emotional response. Yeah, if we're, if we're feeling a sense of being threatened, if that's our perception, if we're feeling defensive, if there's a sense of being dismissed. What's, what's not on here that, I, that I'm, I'm surprised about, maybe we just didn't get to it, is just simply strong emotions in general, right? Anger, hurt, pain, frustration. frustration. So just going to put strong emotions. Fear. Yeah, fear, anger, pain. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so blame, shame, um, fixation on being right, hidden agendas. So not being transparent about what we actually want or where we're coming from. So what helps? So this whole range, and we could keep going, right? There's many other factors, many other conditions that make it hard to hear one another and actually have a meaningful or effective conversation from our, our views, right? The kinds of assumptions we have, um, not having a shared goal, the ways we're relating, blame, defensiveness, judgment, um, not listening, interrupting to the inner emotions we're experiencing. So when, these, when any of these conditions are present, what are some of the things that you identified based on your own experience that you've seen help that actually can neutralize or balance or work against some of these other factors? Yeah. Pausing. And what about pausing is helpful for you? What does it do for you? Okay, so pausing I'm hearing is a strategy for self-awareness. Great. What else? Listening. Mm-hmm. What else? There's a strong mutual intention that we're going to enrich our relationship as a result of this conversation. Uh-huh. So a particular view towards learning. That there's something we could learn here. This could be enriching. Right. Well, what's interesting about that, enriching relationship, is I would agree that that's the ideal situation when both people have that view, right? But obviously we can't control the other person. So even if the other person doesn't have that view, if I take that approach, is that going to be helpful? Right. So we can always do that, even if the other person isn't on board with that. Because that's going to start to transform how we're relating. If we can have that view, maybe I'll learn something here. Maybe there's something, that, maybe there's something enriching that could come out of this. What else helps? Yeah. Ask the other person what they want. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
So I'm hearing two different things in that, and I want to kind of separate them because I think they're both valuable. So one is inquiry, right? Just getting interested and asking questions. The other, which, is, which kind of points to this, this, um, ask this point over here of lack of shared goals, is specifically inquiring into what, what matters. What are the needs present? So inquiry, and then specifically... Um, a focus on needs or goals, which we'll be talking about later today. What else helps? So are you saying that, that part of what, what helps is, is just a value for the process of dialogue, being able to see, like, work from multiple perspectives? Okay, so seeking commonality and um, um, ability to yeah, so 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 wider view and to tolerate disagreement, right? That we can yeah, to tolerate disagreement. That how many people here? Like, what's your default response? to conflict when there's a disagreement, right? How many people leap up inside and go, oh, great, I'm going to learn something (laughs) when we have a conflict or disagreement with someone, right? The response is usually in that category of defensiveness or getting ready to, like, go on the offensive rather than this view of learning and enriching or seeking commonality. So that ability to tolerate a difference or a disagreement is really important, what else? No, not at all. Right. Yeah, they can coexist, right? We can have that conditioning come up inside of the fight, flight, freeze. And because of these different parts of our brain and our being that we have the wiring for self-protection, but also the cognitive faculty, we can work with that and say, okay, that's happening. We can be self-aware. We can pause. Notice the reactivity that's happening and then choose to engage in a different way, which is a lot of what we're going to be looking at this morning. Yeah, please. When you use the word tolerate, do you mean tolerate or accept? Yeah, thank you. That's a nice distinction. I said tolerate disagreement. Um, I mean tolerate in the sense of accept. So, so accept might, 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 be, might be a more accurate word. Um, tolerate not in the sense of like, okay, fine, we're going to disagree. But like, I have a sense of tolerance. There's that sense of space. So acceptance is probably getting more at what I mean. Thank you for that. I wanted to add to the pausing. Yes. Where you wrote self-awareness, mm-hmm. I'd like to turn that around. And if we are present in what is happening, mm-hmm. then we can also pause to de-escalate mm-hmm. Right, so pausing can also be a strategy for de-escalating. So um, along those lines, um, slowing down, right? Slowing down the pace of a con- of a difficult conversation can often have a very helpful effect. Yeah, please. Compassion. Mm. So just as there are emotions that can get in the way in a difficult conversation, there are other emotions that can support us, like compassion, like curiosity, which is the foundation of inquiry, kindness. Yes, please. Um, if, if possible, the right timing. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't want to do a right. 
So attention to timing and behind you, there was someone. Hangry, right, yes, yeah, so timing. Mm-hmm. And also that, you know, for, for personally for me, it's, it's giving up on the attachment of what people think of me mm. and being able to say difficult things and not worrying about mm-hmm. what they are, whether I'm liked or loved right. or what, what, yeah. what they're not attaching to that. Yeah. So, so I'm just going to summarize and tell me if this captures it for you. So one is flexibility. Uh, and then two, when you say not being caught up with or attached to what others think about me, um, would that be connected to a sense of self-esteem and, and kind of independence, kind of being grounded in my own sense of self-worth? Right, and ego Yeah, okay, so self-esteem. And self-awareness. Self-esteem, self-awareness we've got, and then a, a sense of, of healthy ego strength. So this is... Um, more like in psychological terms, not, not ego as in like, I need everyone to pay attention to me, but that sense of self, having a healthy sense of, of identity, that I feel confident in who I am, in myself. If you disagree with me or don't like me, that doesn't threaten or damage my sense of person, is what's meant by healthy, uh, healthy ego strength. I'm walking away. I mean, when things are really mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so being able to take a break. Yeah, which we're going to look at today. How to do that in a skillful way. Someone said setting limits or boundaries. How do we do that without damaging the relationship? Without throwing the conversation? Yeah. Talking about fewer things. So having focus in the conversation and being able to track what are we actually dealing with here, right? Because that's one of the things that happens in challenging situations, right, is that everything is all of a sudden on the table. And, and now we can't actually deal with any of it. So, um, so focus and a particular skill that we won't cover today, but which I do explore in my book, which is called tracking. Tracking the different threads of content and being able to redirect. Yeah. Mm. I think sometimes um, people bring compassion into a conversation and it, and it can actually be belittling in disguise. And in what way? Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, um, so compassion, empathy, when is that genuine? When is it really coming from the heart? And when is it that sense of I'm actually using this to distance myself? There's, this, there's the idea or the veil of compassion, which is actually more pity, which in Buddhism we would call the near enemy of compassion. It's like, oh, you poor thing. You over there who are suffering, and I'm, I'm okay over here. I'm not going to really get involved. Right? Yeah. Not being attached to a certain Yeah. So again, the sense of flexibility, not being attached to a certain outcome, super important. I have two. One is softness. Mm-hmm. Right, so softness, kind of another dimension of flexibility. And then um, prioritizing uh, connection and the relationship over being right. And I want to say something about that. It's very, very rare. 
as I was kind of alluding to before, to use conflict and difference as an opportunity to connect, to deepen our relationship. Again, how many of us is our first response? We can get there, but is our first response when someone comes to us and says, you know, I've got some feedback for you. You really did something that didn't work, that was hard. But we're like, oh, great. I'm going to learn something. Right? I actually do that, I'll admit. Like when someone comes to me and says, I have some feedback for you, I'm actually like, oh, wonderful, great. I get to learn. How else do we learn? Right? If people don't give us feedback, we're just left with our own views. So rare to do this, but what are we missing? When we don't use conflict as an opportunity to connect and build the relationship, we're missing out on one of the most profound peacemaking skills in life. We don't learn how to actually work together. So we could keep going. I saw there there were a ton more hands. And part of this exercise is also just the sense of, of wanting to empower you. Right, so the innate structure of this day is here I am sitting up on stage with a microphone and speaking to all of you. Right, So the structure in the agreement is I'm the expert. And yes, I've studied this stuff for a couple of decades. There are things that I know that I can share that I, I truly believe will be helpful to you. And we all know a lot about this stuff already. <laughs> The question is, are we able to use it? Coming back to that sense of, do we have the tools? Do we st- can we stay aware and connected to the things that we know? Can we remember to get interested? Can we remember to really listen? To have a wider view? To soften that fixation on wanting to be right? And instead see, well, what happens if we just try to hear each other? What if it's not about who's right or wrong? So how do, we, how, do we, how do we actualize some of these and how do we, um, how do we keep these, these conditions, particularly the ones that are happening inside us, in response to the other person? How do we keep these from taking over and turn the volume up on these? So one of the key, one of the key things is this sense of our view. And this, this desire to prioritize the connection, the relationship, the sense of understanding. There's a teaching in Tibetan Buddhism that says, turn all obstacles into the path. Turn all obstacles into the path. That understanding, this is also, this is about growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. This understanding that we learn through challenge. When we, can rec- when we can recollect that viewpoint, it starts to shift how we are relating to the difficult conversation. The other key shift here in our view is the recognition that usually when we think of a difficult conversation, we might think that the other person is being difficult. Part of what makes a difficult conversation difficult is the fact that we are experiencing difficulty. Right? So Marshall Rosenberg, who's the founder of nonviolent communication, which is one of the methods I'm trained in, that forms um, a significant part of my book, Say What You Mean, 
one of the things that uh, he said, which I really love, is he says, I never have to worry about how people behave or how they relate to me. I only have to worry about how I respond. Because we can't control if somebody is going to be blaming us or not listening or defending themselves or minimizing or invalidating. That's not up to us. What is up to us is how wrapped up am I going to get in their trip? Am I going to take the bait? Or am I able to stay in my own center and be like, okay, that's kind of interesting. That's not really what I meant. Let me try again. Right? And choose how we're relating based on our values rather than reacting to, what someone, to someone else's behavior. So this is where I want to start because this is the foundation. And this, this forms the first section of my book. The first training in mindful communication is a training in presence. We need to be able not just to be here and aware, but really to be grounded. To have that sense of having my own center. I'm trying to find, someone was, that sense of of self-esteem and healthy ego strength that you said. right? That sense that where I'm coming from my own views, my own sense of self-worth, is something that's within me. So even if you don't treat me with respect, I still have self-respect. And that, that's, and that your behavior isn't going to determine how I, how I view myself. This is an aspect of freedom. And this is more than an idea. There, there, there are tools that we can practice to begin to experience this. And there are ways of training ourselves in conversation with other people to stay connected to this kind of grounded awareness. So this is what I want to do now, is I want to begin to explore how do we have awareness, not just in ourself in a conversation. I'm sorry, rewind. How do we have awareness, not just in ourself when we're meditating, when our eyes are closed or when we're doing our spiritual practice, how do we have clear, grounded awareness when we're speaking and listening with someone else? And then when they're coming at us, when we're under fire, how do we not lose that center so that we can relate in a wise and skillful way and so that ultimately we can choose to act from that place of clarity? So I want to just check in quickly. How many people could use a bio break? Okay, the next series we're going to do, it's going to be about 30 or 45 minutes. So why don't we take about uh, a 12-minute break. It's 12 after, so we'll come back at 11.25. If you don't have to use the bathroom, there's an information table with some flyers about upcoming programs. Feel free to check that out. And if a volunteer could ring the bell at, say, 11.22... Could I have uh, one of the volunteers just so we know? Great, thank you.
Oh, you know what? It's a
too many seminars. Okay, great. All right. So as folks are making their way back in, <clears throat> is there a volunteer who has extra index cards? No, no, you, everyone should have one. But So... Raise your hand if you need an index card, if you don't have one. So, if you have an extra index card near you, yeah, you'll probably need a pen. You can share with, uh, with a neighbor if you don't have a pen. And so I'll just ask again, for those who are volunteering today for Spirit Rock, I don't remember which volunteer I gave the packets of index cards to. Ah, this gentleman. So if you need an index card, raise your hand, and uh, this gentleman will come around and bring you, bring you an index card. And then any, any that are left over, we can just send up to the front. So keep your hand up. There's a couple people up in front here who need index cards. I can take the extras, Allison. Great, thank you so much.
All right, so what I'd like you to do um, to prepare for this exercise is um, on one side of the card, I want you to write down three short statements, and I'll, I'll, I'll describe the statements first before you write. Um, one is going to be a statement that would be neutral. Listen to the whole thing before you start writing, okay? So just listen first. One is going to be something that would be very neutral for you to hear. For example, the sky is blue. Okay, it doesn't have any particular significance or valence, positively or negatively. That's going to be the first thing to write down. The second is something that is positive for you to hear, that would be pleasing or uplifting or pleasant in some way for you to hear. You look great today. Something short, succinct, that would be pleasant for you to hear. And then the third, something short and succinct, that would be a little bit unpleasant for you to hear. Emphasis on a little bit. Not the most devastating thing someone has ever said to you. And for example, you're late again. Okay? So a neutral statement, a pleasing statement, and a displeasing statement. Something that's short, just one sentence. So write those down, one, two, three. Neutral, pleasing, and displeasing. Again, the examples I gave were the sky is blue... You look great today. You're late again. In, in that vein of things. Uh, yeah, if you do, anyone else need a card? Great. Anyone need more time? Great. So what we're going to do now is we're going to do a series of exercises with one other person. um, Practicing bringing more of this kind of grounded awareness into the space of a conversation with another human being. If you've come here with someone that you know, my suggestion would be to do these these exercises as well as the other exercises we do um, with someone else just so that you're really working without other influences from the past in your relationship, so you can really just focus on the tools. Obviously, we're all adults. You're at choice. If you want to do something different, that's up to you. That's my recommendation. Um, So we'll be exploring a few different tools for bringing grounded awareness into the space of dialogue and relationship. These are tools for presence, for more awareness, in an embodied way. They're also tools that we can use for self-regulation. So when we were looking at that list of things that make conversations difficult, the effect of a lot of those are that we get dysregulated. The level of stimulation in our nervous system gets jacked up 
and we lose the ability to have more clarity and choice. So really important in difficult conversations is the ability to shift what's happening in our own nervous system, to find some sense of of settling or deactivation and regulate the energy that's been stimulated. That doesn't mean suppressing it. It means kind of getting ahead of the wave so that you're riding it instead of getting tumbled. Does that make sense? Okay. So I want to say just a few words about each of these, and then we'll do some practice with it. Um, Orienting. We've already done that. So this sense of just widening our awareness and connecting with our environment. When we are in an intense situation, things get to, tend to get very narrow. Literally and figuratively, when we are under threat, the visual field actually narrows. So widening the visual field, opening up to the space around us, can not only help us to self-regulate, but it can also help us to actually access a broader cognitive perspective. I was chatting with someone on the break who says that he does work with uh, um, dispute resolution and mediation, and one of the things that they do is taking people who are in a conflict out into beautiful places in nature, right? As a way of reconnecting with something larger than oneself to have that sense of perspective. So orienting is one tool, both to be more aware, but also to self-regulate. Pausing. This has come up already today. Just that ability to take even half a breath. Right? And gather your thoughts or consider, okay, where do I want to come from? Is this going to be helpful? What's going to be most useful right now? Grounding and relaxing. We practiced this also already in the meditation. That sense of feeling the weight of your body and particular relaxing your upper body. So this, one of the things that happens in conversation is our attention tends to come up and out. And we're out there with the other person. So this step of trying to relax and feel the weight of the body brings our our center of gravity back in to the literal center of gravity. The out-breath. The outbreath is a natural deactivation of the nervous system. Right? Why do we take a deep breath after something challenging happens? It's the body's natural way of beginning to settle. So even just taking one breath and focusing on the outbreath, even lengthening it a little bit, can help us to regulate. And then the last, for those of you who are doing CEs, you only need to know three of these, so I'm giving you five. Um, The last is what are called touch points in meditation practice, but specifically touch points at the periphery of the body, so the hands and the feet. Again, when we get activated emotionally, where do we tend to experience that? Right? When I feel threatened, when I'm angry or frustrated or scared or hurt, that's going on here, right? It's not happening in my pinky. It's not happening in my calf. We feel things in this kind of central core of the torso. So bringing your attention to the periphery of your body, your hands or your feet, can help to regulate the energy and the emotions that are being experienced. It gives it, again, it widens your experience of space and it gives that energy somewhere to go. The hands and the feet, the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet 
are natural energy gates of the body for anyone who does Tai Chi or Qigong energy exits and enters the body from those places as well as several other places but so bringing your attention there also can help to to regulate so we're going to do a series of exercises and explore some of these now you don't need to do all of these in fact it's probably better if you don't it'll just get confusing finding one that works for you is all you need just one tool the other thing that you may find is that these aren't separate right like often when we pause we take a breath right Or when we relax and ground our body, maybe we notice our feet or our hands. So breaking these out this way is is a way of learning, but they're not necessarily distinct, discrete tools. They can flow together. We can be doing more than one at a time. It's about shifting our attention intentionally. So let's just do a really quick experiment. I want you to, without changing how you're sitting or closing your eyes or anything. Just place your attention in your hands for a moment and just feel any sensations that are there with your awareness. And now shift your attention to your feet. Notice any sensations in your feet. Warmth, pressure, feeling of your socks. And now shift your attention to sound. That sense of the wide, open hearing. Was anyone unable to do that? I always get a little nervous when I ask that question. (laughs) I have yet to be in a room of people who can't do that. Where there's anyone who can't do that. So there, there, there are two very important points here. Number one, part of being conscious is that we have the capacity to choose where we place our attention. This is like one of the most basic properties of awareness, so basic that we overlook it, yet the, the implications of this are vast. We can choose where we place our attention. So in a conversation, if I'm having an argument with someone and I focus my attention on the thing that they just said or my judgments or what happened last time or the fear that I'm feeling or my you know, panic about what's, you know, where this might be going, that's probably not going to be useful. If I can choose where I put my attention... I can begin to shift what's happening inside in my own experience. This is one of the fundamental uh, things that we work with in contemplative practice, is training how we use our attention. So these tools are ways of shifting our attention when we're with another human being. There was a question or a comment back here, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I talk about I talk about this in my book. Many different ways of pausing. We can take a micro pause, like I just did, just between words. 
where it's clear that we're not, the sentence isn't finished yet, but we're buying ourselves a moment. Right? So I just did it three times. It's a way that we're creating internal space through the pace of our speech by inserting micro pauses. We can take a pause or buy time by asking for one or signaling to the other person, saying something like, and there's a bunch of phrases in my book to do this, examples for how to do this, like, that sounds important. I think I want a moment to take it in. I'm not sure I'd like to consider that. <sighs> right? So we, we signal to the other person, I'm taking a pause, but it's because I'm actually trying to move this thing forward together. Okay? And then we can also do it non-verbally. We can do it by, you know, there are certain facial expressions or gestures, right? If we do this, kind of looking up and to the side or rubbing our, our, our jaw, you know, or mm, like that. Those, those signal culturally, I'm thinking, I'm considering. So that you can, you can find culturally appropriate ways, socially acceptable ways in the conversation based on the context Two, get yourself an out-breath. When all else fails, go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's, very, it's very rude to comment on your need to use the restroom, so generally people will just kind of say, okay, fine. <laughs> so just excuse yourself. Say, I'm sorry, I need to use the restroom. I'll be right back. <laughs> and then, you know, orient, ground, breathe, do your thing, and then come back. You can do that several times in a, in a, like if you're out to dinner or something and people will say, yeah, he's got a stomach thing. It's a question. How about slowing the breath in general? Yeah. I mean the, the speech in general. Yes, this is another, yeah, I talk about the... tend to speak faster and yes. louder or whatever mm-hmm. with more emotion. So if we consciously slow down the speech and the level of yes. noise, so yeah. to speak, I think it will induce other people to do the same. It may. It, it, we, that we don't know, but it, it, modulating the pace of our speech can bring a lot more awareness to the flow of conversing and can help to regulate our nervous system because speech is a, a way that we control the breath. Speech is formed through breath, and the breath is a reflection of our nervous system. So how we're breathing will... will is both affected by and affects our nervous system. So changing the pace of our speech changes our breath, which affects our nervous system. There are other tools as well that I talk about in the first section of my book. That's one of them. So I'd like to do some practice with this. So um, in silence, because with a room of 150 people, this will go a lot more smoothly if we do it in silence. In silence... Turn to someone near you who you haven't worked with yet today and get your chairs or cushions oriented so that you can, you can see each other without having to turn your body too much. So turn to someone near you. If you don't have a partner, raise your hand high and then look around for someone else's hand is up. So, so there you go. So raise your hand, look for someone else's hand is up. We've got someone here in the front needing a partner. Anyone else need a partner other than Thea? There you go, Thea, over in the side by the, by the window. This, 
So we're looking for twos, not threes. So, yep. So does anyone else need a partner? You want to be sitting close enough that you could speak in a normal voice and the other person could hear you? So I think this person in the back needs a partner. Yeah? There you go. So we need we need pairs rather than rather than three. All right. Does anyone who wants to do the activity not have a partner? Awesome. Okay. So first I want to invite you to turn your attention inwards and take a moment or two just to center yourself in whatever way is authentic for you. Notice how it feels to have your attention turned inwards, to have your focus on yourself. You might feel the weight of your body. See if you can get a sense of the space around you. There's that experience of this is my space. And then in your own time, I want to invite you to turn your, open your eyes if they're closed and turn your gaze to your partner. Staying in silence. It's fine to make eye contact. It's also fine to look away. Notice the difference between seeing this other human being versus just having your attention with yourself. And notice if you've left that sense of being connected to yourself in any way. Is your awareness already out there with the other person? And if so, can you bring your awareness back into your own body? Again, it's fine to look away. You could close your eyes again for a moment or two. What's it like to explore the difference between limiting the sensory visual field and just having your attention inwards and being aware of this other person?
when your eyes are open, what's the effect of widening your awareness visually, orienting a little bit? How does that shift your internal experience? Let yourself kind of look around. Notice sounds. Notice the effect on what it's like to be together when you widen and open your perceptual field. What's it like to see if you can consciously relax your shoulders or your face and feel the weight of your body? What's it like to focus on your out-breath? Do you feel any sense of settling or calming inside? And what happens if you just bring your attention into your hands? Just feel the warmth or the weight of your hands. Does that help you to stay connected to yourself at all, even as you see or connect with the other person in front of you? Just feeling the sensations in your hands. So we're exploring how we place our attention when we're with another human being. And what's the effect? So what helps you to feel that sense of centeredness and being grounded? Before there are even any words... So I'd like one person in each pair to raise your hand and volunteer to speak first. So if one person in each pair could raise your hand, make sure your partner sees you raise your hand. So we're going to do just a short exercise with practicing staying aware and grounded in ourself while speaking or listening. With, comp- with relatively neutral content. So just activating the vocal cords, forming words, speaking a little bit. So I'd just like you to share with your partner where you live, um, how you spend your time these days, personally or professionally, whatever you, have, whatever you want to share. And then maybe one thing about how you, how, how you ended up being here today. Like how did you hear about the event or... What inspired you to come? And 
So listeners, while you're listening, I want you to choose one of these tools that we just explored. Orienting. It's hard to pause while you're listening, so skip that one. Grounding your out-breath or just feeling a touch point, your hands or your feet. While you're listening, see if you can really just stay present in yourself some. You're not going to have 100% of your attention inwardly, otherwise you wouldn't be listening. So some of your attention will be with the other person. But can you not get lost in the listening? Can you keep that sense of a center as you listen? Speakers, as you speak, can you, can you have some awareness? You might practice pausing. You might practice just feeling your hands or a little bit of the weight in your body, feeling the vibration of your voice in your throat or your chest as you speak. Okay, so in difficult conversations, our ability to be present and to feel our own center is where it starts. If we can't do that, we're going to be on automatic and reacting. So we're, we're, we're starting slowly here, just building a foundation. So you'll have about two minutes. I'll ring a bell partway through. When you hear the bell, speakers, wherever you are, mid-sentence, mid-syllable, I want you to just stop. Drop the words. And I'll offer a little bit more instruction. So whichever role you're in, take a moment to set a clear intention inside about how you're practicing. If you're listening, how are you going to use your attention? If you're speaking, how are you going to use your attention? And then speakers, sharing a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you spend your time, and how you ended up here today. Starting with the breath. Starting now. go. Let the words go. Turn your attention inwards. Notice what's happening. Did you lose that sense of presence? Just feel the energy that's stimulated in your body. Can you be aware that words are leaving your mouth? As you're listening, can you stay aware, present, and connected to yourself, even as you listen to this other person? 
In a moment, I'll ring the bell and invite you to continue for one more minute. Starting with the breath. Starting now. Pausing. The ability to stop speaking is really useful. (laughs) How many times are we in the midst of a conversation and it's like, this is not going to be helpful, but we can't stop with the words are leaving our mouth. So we're not even talking about anything that compelling, right? Can you stop when you hear the bell? Just let it go. Practice that ability to have restraint, to feel the momentum, the force that language and words carries over us. Why do we need to finish that thought? What's so important about it? Can we just pause? Can we just stop? So we'll trade roles now. So if you were the listener, now you'll be the speaker. And I'm inviting you to practice pausing. Maybe try to feel your body a little bit. Can you stay aware as you're speaking? And if you're listening, choose one of these tools. Maybe grounding, maybe the touch points. Could be orienting, starting to have, just having some awareness of the space around you as you're listening. And just see, does that help you to stay present? Or do you get... Do you, does all of your attention disappear into what the other person is saying? Do you get lost in the listening? So take a moment to set your intention for how you're practicing, whichever role you're in. Starting with a breath. Starting now.
your attention inwards and notice what's happening. The energy that you feel isn't good or bad, it's not right or wrong. That's your life energy. We just want to be aware of it. We want to learn how to use it consciously instead of letting it push us around. In the moments, I'll ring the bell and invite us to continue. How do you want to practice staying grounded and centered as you speak or listen? What helps you to stay aware? So starting with the breath, continuing now. go. So just take a moment to reflect on what you learned or noticed. So this is part one, just this sense of the baseline. Can we be aware listening or speaking. Part two, we're going to start to add in a little bit of charge, positive or negative. So what we're going to do is, would you be willing to demonstrate something with me? Okay. So if we were, if we were, uh, thank you. If we were in a, in a part, if we were doing this together, I'm going to give my card to my partner. And she's going to read those three statements to me one at a time. Now the key is, after you read one statement, wait until I signal to you to read the next. So I'm going to signal to you by, by beckoning with a hand gesture. Okay. So she's going to read the first statement, which is neutral. My job is to notice the effect in my body and choose one of these tools to stay aware, and particular, in particular, if there's anything that gets stimulated, positive or negative, to st- make sure that I stay balanced. So the first couple rounds, it's probably not going to be too hard. But we're going we're gonna to work up to it. So, The sky is blue today. 
It's so good to see you. So I'm just I'm just noticing just a little bit of warmth, the sense of being uplifted slightly, just enjoying that. You're late again. And so I felt my shoulders were up, so then I, I felt I, I just relaxed a little bit my upper body. So I'm narrating, you don't need to do this in the in your, in your exercise. So then thank you. So then you would do it two more times. So you're going to have your partner read those three statements three times to you. So if you're so this involves a little a little acting. So if you're reading the statements, you know, you can just start off just normal but make it real as you read them. So if it's a positive statement, really bring some life into it. How would you say this to someone if it's a statement that might be displeasing or difficult to hear like she did, you know, add some oomph to it. So You're going to trade cards. One person is going to hear their statements. Make sure you wait for your partner to signal to you to read the next statement, right? Because what what your partner is doing is tracking their own internal experience and using one of these tools to explore staying present, grounded, and regulated. And noticing what's the difference between hearing something neutral, pleasant, or unpleasant. So do it, do it three times, and then trade roles, do it three times, and, and then I'll give more instructions. So we'll take about five minutes or so for this, and we'll check in and see where everyone's at. Five minutes, five minutes total. So go at your own pace. I'm, I'm sure it'll work out.
so please raise your hand if your pear is not yet finished. Anyone not yet finished? Oh, yes. So you're not finished yet. Anyone else not yet finished? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Since, since there are a few pears that haven't finished, if you haven't already, I want you to just talk about what you noticed. Talk about what you noticed inside. What were the differences? Did anything help you to stay grounded and present? As you do that, continue to practice with one of these tools. So as you're having this second part of the conversation, comparing notes, continue seeing if you can bring awareness to the process of listening and speaking. Let's take a few more minutes for each of the groups that didn't finish to finish and to just talk about what you noticed, and then I'll give some more instructions.
presentation again on the way talk about Okay, so if you can take a short pause here. So now we're going to have some fun. So this is all just leading up. So, we started in silence. What's it like to be with another human being? Eye contact between primates is intense. Have you noticed? Okay? In the wild... Eye contact means either I'm going to eat you or I'm going to try to mate with you, right? Like, we share that wiring, right? It's no wonder when we're, like, talking to someone, sometimes it's like, okay, what's going on here? Because our nervous system is, is trying to, like, figure out what is happening on a, on a very old, ancient level. So how do we stay aware just being around other people and having a conversation, right? So we started in silence, just exploring that. Then we just talked, just like, oh, I'm from Jersey originally, and, you know, this thing, and I heard about this online, and, and seeing, can I stay present when I'm listening or speaking without much of anything to really talk about? Then we added in these statements, neutral, pleasant, and unpleasant, to see how does that affect me. Now we're going to turn the volume up. So what I want you to do, one person is going to, we're just going to work with the neutral statement here. So mine was, the sky is blue today. So if, if, uh, if I got a card, let's say, um, let's say I got a card from my partner, and the card said the sky is blue today. I'm going to say that statement at increasing levels of volume and intensity. <laughs> to give my partner practice responding to intensity of energy with no content. Right? Someone over here earlier was talking about getting really big, how that can be difficult in conversations, right? So what happens if someone is saying, the sky is blue today! Right? So that might be like the fifth time I say it. You're not going to start at that level. Right, so you're just going to start, the sky is blue today. And you're going to wait for your partner to tell you again, the sky is blue today. Okay, your partner's like regulating. Use one or more of these tools. Explore them, right? See what works for you. Okay, again. The sky is blue today, right? So... Keep increasing the level of volume, intensity, maybe gesture that's coming with the statement. Do it four or five times. And each time, as the listener, notice what happens inside. Can you, can you come back to center and can you regulate that energy 
whether it's a desire to run away or disappear, a desire to fight back, shut down, whether you just kind of freeze, like, oh my God, the sky's blue. <laughs> you know? Relax your upper body, feel your lower body, take a breath. Okay? So practice this tool. This is something that in a difficult conversation, we need to do over and over and over again. Right, that ability to have some energy come at us. Sometimes it doesn't always come big, right? Sometimes it's like super like, oh, that's what you meant? And it's like, whoa, okay. Right, to, to, to not get swept away by our own reaction. So, wait for your partner to invite you to say it again. Do it four or five times and then trade. If you finish before I ring the bell... Begin to uh, compare notes and talk about what you learned or notice. Any questions about the instructions? Are we just doing the neutral statement? Yes, we're just doing the neutral statement. So why don't you wait till I answer all the questions before you begin? You're repeating it four or five times. But no. So if you were my partner, I would read the state your neutral statement to you once. And then I would wait for you to tell me. Then I would read a second time. Then I would wait for you to invite me. Then I would read it a third, a fourth, and a fifth time. If after the fourth time you're like, all right, that's good. Then we're going to stop. Okay? Or if not, we'll do five times. And then give, it a, you know, give your partner a moment to shake it out, relax, and then trade roles. Any other questions about the instructions? Yeah, volume, um, intensity of energy, of feeling, maybe gesture, okay? Same words, just the neutral statements, yeah. Okay, have fun.
if I can pause you for one moment, I want to I wanna just add two reminders here. So number one, if you start at a 10, you have nowhere to go. <laughs> right? Increase the intensity slowly. Start at neutral. And then slowly increase the intensity. That's number one. Number two, if you're receiving it, take your time. It's not like, okay, give it to me again. Okay, give it to me again. Okay, keep going. The point here is to focus on the regulation. So after you get one, just give yourself a few breaths. Let yourself recover, relax. Make sure you return to a baseline of just feeling at ease. It might be like 30 seconds or a minute before you you tell your partner to, to say it again. Your work as the listener is to track what's happening inside your own body and, and set the pace. Okay? So if that changes how you're doing it, then um, you might want to do, to do a retake or something, but keep those two points in mind. Question? Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, check with your partner, but I would say you mean like, are you supposed to get up out of your chair? No. Ah, I see what you're saying. Um, it's up to you if you want to practice these tools or not while you're giving the statement. If you want to challenge yourself and see if you can be more aware while you're being kind of histrionic and intense, great. Um, but that's up to you. Okay, let's continue.
Okay. So please thank your partner. Let's come back to the large group. And if we could have two volunteers to run mics, that would be great. Yeah. So let's come back to the large group. And if if two of the volunteers Great, one, two. Awesome. So, what did you notice? What did you learn? What kind of uh what kind of insights or experiences did you have that um you think are going to be helpful in taking this into challenging conversations. Let's start with just shares, insights and and noticings and then we'll do questions. So just wait for the mic so everyone can hear oh. you. Yeah. Hi. And then someone down here in front, Richard. I'm on a mic. This is really fun. Um I found that uh like you were suggesting to put your energy in your hands when I did that, I had never done that before. What I do is I think of uh grounding my I always when I'm in a conversation uh, that's difficult, I feel my feet, and I always say, feel your feet, feel your feet, mm-hmm. and I just feel my feet. Um, then I kind of just, you know, it keeps me grounded, but when it gets really heated, I just lose, I just lose mm. it. But holding my hands mm-hmm. on my lap and feeling both hands mm-hmm. together was yeah. almost like, it was even more, it was like a double grounding. Great. So it was kind of like that energy that I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> Energy, it was just like cool energy. Yeah, yeah. It kind of sat in my hands yes. and Wonderful. I could just stay and just kind of be Great. chill and cool. So that's yeah. a really good thing to yeah. know for yourself. To yeah, it's have a that. new tool. And there is something really powerful, particularly, you know, our hands are so sensitive. There's so many nerves in our hands that holding our own hand, whether, whether our fingers are interlaced or something, there's that sense of accompanying oneself. Yeah. That it can, felt that safe can come for sure. in. Yeah. Yeah. I saw another hand down here. No? Other other insights. Yeah, in the orange shirt. And so if someone else wants to raise their hand also, then the next person can get the mic while this person is speaking. Please. Um so I noticed I mean, just a neutral statement. The sky is blue. And then when my partner got really intense. I, I noticed, I don't like you, you're pontificating, I'm, now I have a story, I think you're aggressive, yeah. now I don't even think I want to talk to you again. Right. So that was just on a neutral statement, and yes. then we did it again, and I practiced um, feeling the soles of my feet mm-hmm. on the floor, mm-hmm. and that was real, and it changed yeah. it. Great. It changed it. Yeah. So, so two things you're, you're, you're saying there that I want to just draw out. One is the, the awareness that for you, part of the reactivity was on the mental level in terms of the stories and the perception about the other person. And even when there was no content, right, just the intensity of the gesture or the volume um, created that. And then grounding your attention in your body shifted that for you. Yeah. 
please. I just wanted to say that I wanted to reiterate what she said when when I was pushed into my panic zone, mm -hmm. then everything kind of flew out the window. So yeah. all those tools right. for regulation flew out the window and I had to really search for them and it was hard for me to even remember yeah. what they were. Yeah. Thank you, which is why we're doing this. And which is why having one go-to is helpful. Because it's too much to remember even two or three things. So I'm offering these not to do all of them, but as a menu, right? And each of us is different. So something different is going to work for each of us. You know, one of the things I talk about in my book is also, you know, with touch points, sometimes it's carrying something, like carrying a stone, right? Or having a, some, something that you can hold in your hand. So there are many, many ways to... Um, ground your attention in sensation or in the body or in the present moment to help us from getting carried away by the reactivity or by the thoughts or the emotions that are happening in a difficult conversation. What else? Uh, things that haven't been said yet. Yes, this person in front and then Zashay in the middle there. I felt an obligation to match the energy mm. that was coming at me. Mm -hmm. And it didn't feel optional. Mm. It felt like all of a sudden my body was going to match that. Mm -hmm. And um, I am struck now a few minutes later about how exhausting that was mm. to be swept away by somebody else's energy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little tired now. Yeah. No, really, really important to notice. I mean, part of, part of what I think you're experiencing is our natural capacity for empathy. Right? Which is when someone else is feeling or experiencing something, our nervous system is wired to pick up on it and register it. But then there's that sense of being able to regulate that capacity. Right? Sometimes we don't want to empathize with someone. Case in point. Right? If they're flipping out, we want to be able to actually stay centered and calm. And to be able to choose how I'm going to relate to you. Right? Sometimes... In a challenging conversation, if someone is kind of up here speaking at us, they're really upset, and we come in down here, we're like, I understand you're upset. I really want to work this out. That can, and we're, we may have a very sincere intention, but it can code as being patronizing or controlling, right? Because they're all the way up here. So we want to be able to choose how we engage, that if we're going to match some of that intensity... Right? Like, I really, really get how pissed you are. This is important to me too, and I want to stay with this conversation. First, I really think I just need a moment to gather my thoughts. Right? But I'm choosing to come up to that level rather than doing it because I feel this internal obligation. So I think it's a very valuable experience to have. The one thing I'll add too is that I felt like a lot of the rousing happened in my stomach. Mm -hmm. So one of the touch points I think I'll explore is just hand on, hand on my stomach. Great. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I've noticed is I was I didn't necessarily want to come back to grounding. Mm. Like as, it was really hard for me to stay grounded as I was talking, mm -hmm. and I kind of like it. Mm -hmm. I kind of like getting lost in what I'm saying and mm. my thought. And um, also, when she was talking really loudly, mm -hmm. like I had this tickle at the back of my neck that was kind of pleasurable. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, "Oh, all right, like it's game time." Uh -huh. <laughs> And so I, I was just noticing that. I was yeah. just noticing like that's yeah. one of the, the hindrances. Is that yes. like it can be enjoyable. 
to get yes. lost. Yeah, the, the intensity of the energy is there's an aliveness there. Yeah, and so, again, this is the point of these exercises, is to, is to discover our own patterns, what comes up for us, and then what's useful in each of us to balance. Let's, let's open it up to questions now also. So this person over there, you've got a mic, and then we'll hear from this person. Please. Um, I guess we had a focus around you know, how the message was given, you know, and not just the words, but how right. it's said, etc. And two words that haven't come up today, um, persuasion and seduction, mm. um, as far as how to deal with a difficult conversation, how to have the message across be swept up, ideally mm-hmm. in a positive way. What are your views on persuasion and seduction? I think for me, I focus more on the intention. So persuasion or seduction are, are means, right? Those are uh, strategies for um, getting our point across, trying to win someone over or sway their opinion. So I'm, in terms of the tools that I teach, I'm more interested in supporting people to be aware of their intentions because that is um, that's going to that's going to determine how we communicate our nonverbal communication and the trajectory of the conversation so I can be trying to persuade you from a place of I'm right, and you're an idiot, and you need to agree with me. Or I can be trying to persuade you from a sense of, I'd really like you to hear where I'm coming from, because I want to feel understood, and I have a sense that if you can understand me, it might change how you're seeing things. And there's a genuine desire to build connection and understanding. In my experience, that latter intention is more likely to produce the kinds of outcomes and results we want than the former. So I'm more interested in focusing on where we're coming from and the intention than our whether or not we're persuading or you use the word seduction, right, in that way. Yeah. Question or well, this, comment? Um, this is a comment my partner, I thought, brought up interesting nuance where he was really telling me, like, the speed of what you're t- how you're talking is affecting me more than the volume mm. or the the slight sneer on your face is much more affecting me than right. you said your volume right um, and the other piece is when I noticed the outside environment mm-hmm. I felt more compassion for mm. this is challenging for us mm. like it had a yeah, bigger, that wider yeah, perspective it was really Great. nice Thanks. thank you. Yeah, in the sweatshirt. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about using these tools when the, there's a power dynamic that's yeah. imbalanced. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. The question came up on, the, on a break. So at this point, um, we're just looking at the foundation, right? We're just looking at how do I stay more, more aware? How do I handle my own reactivity and come back to balance? Which is going to be essential in any situation. Um, in terms of, of power differentials in a, in a conversation where we're wanting to have a dialogue, um, depending on which side of that 
power hierarchy we're on, whether it's structural power, social power, um, there are different ways to compensate. So if I have more power than you and um, I am wanting to have a dialogue, um, then I need to, I'm going to be actively working to both undercut my power and um, support your voice and finding strategies to to do that. So examples, Um, I might speak less. Um, I might make it really easy for you to disagree with me by saying, I'm not so sure about this. What, What are the problems you see in what I'm saying? Rather than, what do you think? If I have more power than you, let's say I'm your supervisor, and I say, well, what do you think? Oh, yeah, sounds good. Right? Versus if I say, poke some holes in this. Tell me how you think this isn't going to work. Okay, so I'm undercutting my power and I'm making it really easy for you to disagree, to speak up. I'm also going to want to be really, really conscious about follow-through. So if I'm in a management position or if I'm a parent talking to a child or if I am a heterosexual white male talking to someone who doesn't have that kind of social power... I'm wanting to also, and I'm, and I'm inviting feedback or I'm inviting information about something. In addition to, to what I just said, I'm also going to want to be really conscious about am I following through on the other end? Otherwise, it's just a ruse, right? So if I'm asking for feedback or if I'm listening and, um, and then I don't, I don't close the loop on the other side, it doesn't mean, going back to a professional situation, if I ask you for input doesn't mean I have to do what you say, but I'm going to want to come back and, and let you know, here's the decision we made and here's why, and here's how we factored in or didn't factor in what you were saying. Otherwise, the next time I ask you for input, if I don't close that loop, it's going to be like the last time you didn't really, you know, so why should I share? So that's, that's on, that, on that dynamic. When we have less power than someone else, the, um, th- these tools are even more important. Because when we have less power, dialogue becomes one of our greatest assets. Because we don't have the power to you know, influence things as much. So um, a, few, a few strategies there, um, just on the interpersonal level, not talking about like groups or organizing. Or, um, so one is trying to frame things in terms of shared needs. This came up when we were looking at what helps. So, um, for example, um, one of the things I talk about in the book is an example of my partner who works in the medical field, was working at a job where there, where she didn't feel valued or seen. So the approach wasn't on the personal level like, I want to be more appreciated here at work, right? Because the supervisor was like, well, that's nice, we all do, good luck, you know? So she, she framed things more in terms of a shared need. Like, I'm really interested in building a workplace culture where everyone feels valued and seen and we can all do our best work. Can we talk about some ways that as a team we can begin to do things that help others, that help everyone feel valued and like their work matters, 
right? So she's advocating for herself, but she's framing it in terms of a need that the supervisor has, that other people has. So, the, and in that way, she's creating leverage for herself. So that's that's one. Another another um, another tool is to frame things in terms of how is whatever you're advocating for. This is getting to persuasion. How is whatever you're advocating for going to contribute to the needs of that person who has more power? Right? How are you selling it? Like identifying what is it going to do for this person? You know, um, what I've seen in my previous jobs is when people feel really valued and appreciated, they work hard. They work. They work harder. Our metrics are going to be higher, and you know. And I'm sure that that's going to reflect well on you to have a team that's really killing the metrics, right? So now it's in this person's best interest to help create that culture of appreciation. That's a second strategy. The third strategy is to appeal to the person's sense of humanity and compassion. And to work to create a connection on the human level. To help them connect with the, their ethical or moral sense and see how per, what we're asking for or, or uh, inviting a conversation around um, has value on the human level. So those are, those are a few angles, a few ways of how these tools show up differently when there's, when there's a power differential. Yeah, thank you. So... Um, I want to take lunch soon, so um, in the in the series of hands that are up right now, I want you to, to invite you to just take a moment and see what feels burning. What feels like if I don't ask this now, it's not going to be relevant later, or it's going to be hard for me to kind of feel complete and settle on the lunch break, and anything that falls in that category, I want to address. So take a moment and see. Yeah. So we've got two more comments, and then we'll then we'll wrap up for the morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was crossing a street in Berkeley. I had the light. I was going on a, entering up into a trail area, and there was a car that decided they wanted to turn right, never, even though I was three feet into the intersection or mm-hmm. two and a half. I had to jump back mm-hmm. and worried about my life. Or I was just a little shocked. Mm. And then, as the person turned, a uh, white male, I said, I had the light. Mm-hmm. And he screamed at the top of his lung, fuck you, with the female derogatory term that starts with C and ends in T. Wow. So I wanted to just, I was just going on a walk in the hills. Right, yeah. So I went on my walk. Yeah. But I spent an hour and a half on this walk, and two weeks later, yeah. it's still... Yeah. was so ugly yeah. and vicious and yeah. violent and yeah. aggressive. This was no microaggression. Right, yeah. This was right in the middle of the street. Other people stopped in the intersection yeah. like, oh my God, I can't believe he did yeah. that. Yeah. And so I had to live with that all the way up. I worked with myself. Mm-hmm. I looked at my anger. I looked at yeah, my yeah. age. I looked at right. things where I was triggered when I was 13 or whatever, mm-hmm. the list. Mm. And nevertheless, you know, I had to tell people about it several times, sure. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and Here it's still with you, right. Later. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had had the force. I wish I'd moved quicker enough mm-hmm. and gotten his face. Mm. Because I think there's, I'm not, nobody else here is going to think that it's not skillful. It wouldn't have improved the situation. And there's no moral basis. He would not have been receptive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to say, look at me. 
Mm. Is this how you treat your mother? Right. Is yeah. this how you treat your daughter? Right. Yeah. Is this how you treat yeah, like yeah. this African American woman yesterday at McConnell's office was screaming, yeah, right. "Look at me! Yeah, yeah. Look at me! Right. Right. My to make that connection. And yeah. like I feel like there's sometimes when you're really talking about oppression. Yeah. With violence. Yeah. That sometimes I mean I wasn't going to fight back against him or drag yeah. him. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think for me in that yeah. moment, yeah. I would have felt a lot better uh-huh. to go no. Yeah, absolutely. And, instead of like, oh, I'm I'm sitting with this trauma right. that you just inflicted upon me. Yeah. And I, I just want to make room for that concept. Yeah. Because we're not all nice and wonderful. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's time. This is the world we live in. Yeah. And I do a yeah. lot of criminal justice advocacy, yeah. and we're fighting yeah. against the sheriff. Right. There's been a lot of deaths yeah. in the jail. Yeah. And when I work with African-American parents whose yeah. kids have died in the jail, mm. they're not, they don't want to listen to the sheriff. Mm-hmm. Right. They want to just say their piece sure. about their dead son, and I want to support right. that. So I guess I just want to leave yeah. a moment for... I, you don't want to just keep inflicting more harm or making situations so mm-hmm. bad that nobody's going to listen or the media is going to turn you off because mm-hmm. they think you're just nuts. But, but there's a time and a place to speak yeah, your truth yes. in a fully authentic way. I need to say yeah, that. Thank you. I want to just take a moment to, to honor what you said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's real harm and pain and, and, and horrific violence in our world today. And I I love what you said about the balance between not adding, being able to speak one's truth and set a limit without adding to the harm and the violence. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I have difficulties like if you're dealing with somebody who is mental disturbed mm-hmm. you know so you have I mean we are talking here it sounds like we are talking to people Rational. with anger and yeah, all yeah. that but how about if you have in front of you somebody with a yeah. I, I'm not even sure if the person has awareness of yeah. not being normal you know yeah. sort of so how to yeah. deal with that yeah, um, I think there is there is an, an an assumption in some way that when we're using these tools, we're dealing with someone who can engage or has a certain capacity, right? And when we're dealing with um, mental, emotional, or psychological limitations, we need to adjust, adjust our expectations, and and also adjust. Um, maybe how we're how we're engaging in terms of self protection right if someone doesn't literally doesn't have the capacity for empathy or the capacity to um to listen then attempts to to invite that are futile and so then it's about okay what how do i gauge how do i gauge what's um What's going to be most useful in this situation and what's possible? 
being realistic with, there's, there's, a, there's a fine line, I think, between being realistic with oneself in terms of assessing another's capacity and also not writing people off. Right? And we need, we need a certain amount of information to do that. So if there are people in your life where you're like, I don't, one of the questions on, on a couple of the worksheets in the packet, which we won't go through, they're for you to use um, for your own exploration later, is assessing your own capacity in the conversation, but also assessing the other person's capacity. And then based on that, that's going to inform your choices. Is that helpful? Uh, yes, uh, if it doesn't involve a third person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. It then gets more complicated. Yeah. You know, because uh, in order to sort of protect the third person, mm-hmm. you sometimes have to deal with this, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mental. Uh, so it, it, it gets really difficult to, yeah. to set uh, this up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the clearer we can be in ourselves about what it is that, both what the needs are that we have or that we have for that third person, like if you're talking about, say, a child and a step-parent or something like that, you know, being clear about what the needs are that we have and then also what the, what the, the strategies and the requests are that we have, that's, that's going to help us to advocate as, as clearly as possible to be able to ask for what, what it is that we need and to provide specific strategies that we're saying, you know, these are, these are the, this is, this is what I'd like and here's why. To be able to be that specific. Yeah. I want to I wanna come back to, to one, one other thing in relation to what you said. Um, in terms of that, you know, saying our truth, like speaking up, I think the other thing that comes to mind for me there is being clear in that situation what the what the aim is. And there there I think there are at least two different aims that I'm aware of in that situation. And how we speak and relate I think is going to differ based on based on that aim. And there's the there's the need for like self-expression and integrity, which is less about having an effect on the other person as it is about demonstrating one's own values. Right? So if I'm speaking to someone and I don't have any sense that they're actually going to be able to hear me and that's not even my point, that's very different than speaking to someone because I'm trying to change their behaviors or outlooks or policies. And so those making that distinction around when I, when I speak up, when I, when I am sharing my perspective or truth or needs, is this because if I don't say something, it's not, it's, I'm out of integrity, and I don't really care if you can hear me or not, but I need to say what just happened is not okay. And I and and you know, I as a human being, as an ally, as a member of this community need to say that. That's different than would you treat your mother that way? 
right? Where we're, uh, the, the, the intention is to have an effect on the other person, to change their perspective or consciousness in some way to influence them. So I think that's, that's another piece in that sense of setting a limit and making a boundary is what's the, what's the desired effect that I want to have with my speech? And that's going to determine more that's, that's good, how, how I show up and, and what I say, right? Yeah, thank you. Could you give an example for the first way, um, just saying your piece? For, for example... Um, well, she, she gave it... Um, uh, so in, in this situation, maybe it's, you know... Um, I'm appalled that anyone would, anyone in our community would act that way. This is, you know, I'm completely appalled. I want to live in a world where people have more respect for one another. I'm not so interested in you hearing me, right? And then in this situation, again, the logistics, the person's in the car, they're not actually going to hear me, right? Or it might be like, if there are people around, can you believe that guy? What the bleep, you know? Like, it's just, I'm just making a statement about what just happened, Versus the kind of incisive, you know, like, how would you feel if your child saw you speaking to someone that way? Or would you treat your mother or your grandmother that way? Or, yeah, great. So we'll have time more this afternoon to continue with questions and comments. I want to just share a few uh, suggestions for the lunch break. Um, So I want to invite you to continue to choose one of these tools for bringing awareness to conversation. And as you have lunch, whether you're speaking with others or not, see if you can practice with one of these tools. I also want to call your attention to just a couple of things out on the information table. Um, So one is this um, kind of mustard half-sheet flyer. So I'm teaching a 12-week online course based on my book that just started um, a couple days ago. And the registration is still open, so if you're interested in, uh, in learning more in an online format where you don't have to go anywhere, I um, invite you to check one of these out. There's group discounts and scholarships. So this is one, one thing I wanted to call your attention to. Also, um, if you want to go deeper into these tools, um, I'm teaching a five-day retreat over President's Day weekend down near Santa Cruz, and there's still a few spots with um, a colleague of mine, Roxy Manning, uh, who works with homeless populations. It's going to be a really wonderful retreat, um, and it's a way to take a deeper dive into some of the tools that we'll be looking at more this afternoon. Um, So feel free to check one of these flyers out. And last, um, for anyone... um, who would like, I'll be signing books at the end of the lunch break and on the afternoon break. I have to leave right at 4.30, so I won't be able to hang out after the, after the day, but um, I'll be outside there. Um, I think it's 1 o'clock, so I'll be out there at about a quarter of for the last 15 minutes of the lunch break if you'd like to say hi or have a book signed. All right, so we'll start again at 2. Have a great break.
That was some both places. for a hike. <laughs> sure. <laughs>
snack early.
Right. Welcome back. <clears throat> so hopefully everyone is well nourished and you got some sunshine and movement. One of the core understandings in um, nonviolent communication and in humanistic psychology, um, which is kind of the foundation of NVC, is that part of what makes us human is that we have certain shared fundamental needs and that all of our actions and behaviors can be seen or understood as attempts to meet those basic shared underlying needs. Um, so if you, you don't need this now, but if you have my book, there's a, there's a list of these needs in chapter seven. These are needs for physiological sustenance, like safety, shelter, food, air, and so forth. 
That's the foundation. But then we also have relational needs. We have needs for belonging, community, understanding, empathy, contribution, and so forth. And then we have what could be called higher needs, um, spiritual needs, needs for meaning, for purpose, uh, for a sense of place, uh, a need to know that we matter. So this understanding, which seems pretty basic, you know, so human beings do stuff because there's something important to us, basically, right? When we actually implement this perspective in our life, it's transformative. The, the, the core here, the way of summarizing it, is everything we do, we do to meet a need. So the power of this perspective is that, number one, when we really begin to look at things from this point of view, we discover that we have more in common than we have that separates us. Number two, it opens the doorway to compassion. Because we can begin to understand actions and views and ideas that we vehemently disagree with. We can understand them from a different perspective. doesn't mean we agree with what we call the strategy, which is the attempt to meet the need. But we can understand the deeper human need behind it. Part of the definition of a need is that it's shared, is that we have it also. It's not actually something that's, even though we feel them intimately, it's something that transcends us on a personal level because it's part of what it is to be human. So the need for consideration, the need to be included, the need for learning and growth, These are things that we as human beings all value and want on some level. The understanding from the perspective of nonviolent communication is that our disagreements and conflicts happen on the level of our strategies, what we want. The deeper we go into why we want that, the more we're able to understand the deeper needs beneath those strategies, the less conflict there is. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to do um, a couple of exercises with you exploring this perspective in a situation in your life to see how it applies and then how it might show up in the conversation. So one of the key training principles in communication practice as well as many other um, skills in general in life is that you start where it's easy, right? If you're, if you're training for a marathon, you don't start by running 27 miles, right? You're going to get an injury. You start by just doing short, shorter runs and you work up to the more difficult things. So in the same way, when we're learning any kind of a skill or tool, we want to start in a range that feels doable. So as I invite you to think of a situation, a conversation where there's some kind of a disagreement or a conflict, don't choose the most challenging thing. Why? Because you're likely to just get overwhelmed. And you won't actually get to practice the tool because you'll spend the time spinning or being flooded or trying to process what's actually happening. So on a scale of one to 10 of intensity and difficulty, one being like, I hardly even remember what happened. 10 being, I think I'm going to need therapy for a few years. (laughs) Choose a three or a four. Okay, so a disagreement, 
a difficult, you know, a conversation that was a little bit touchy in some way with someone. Could be something from the past that's not present anymore. Could be something that's currently happening or that you're anticipating. Nothing too hard. So take a moment to just call that situation to mind. So for those who are just coming in, I'm inviting everyone to think of a situation where you had a disagreement, conflict, difficult conversation with someone, nothing too hard. So now I want to invite you to um, turn your attention inwards. Maybe take a few breaths or do whatever helps you to settle. We're going to do a little inquiry here. So first, make sure that you can really feel a sense of groundedness in yourself. Feel your feet on the floor or your, your bottom on the chair or cushion. Feel your breathing or your posture. Just really starting from a place of being centered, clear in yourself. Call to mind this situation, the other person, and what transpired, what was said or done, or not said or not done. Notice what stirred inside as you recall the situation. See if you can begin to discern any emotions that are present for you in relation to this. How do you feel on the inside? Very important, if you notice thoughts like I feel betrayed or manipulated or attacked or misunderstood, those are all words that tell a story about the other person, what they did or didn't do. So if that's how it's occurring to you inside, 
look a little deeper. Ask yourself, when I tell myself I feel betrayed, abandoned, misunderstood, attacked, judged, how do I feel on the inside? What are the actual emotions? And take a little time to just bring some tenderness, some awareness and balance to any feelings or emotions that you might be aware of in relation to this situation. If they feel strong or intense, you could try one of the tools for self-regulation, focusing on your out-breath, relaxing your upper body and feeling the weight of your lower body grounding. Or any of the other tools we explored. So we feel emotions because there's something that matters to us. If there wasn't something important, something we really cared about, we wouldn't feel any emotions about this. So our feelings are information that point to our deeper needs, to what matters. So go ahead and ask yourself that question. In this situation, what matters to me? What do I need? It's important to me. Underneath what you want, why do you want it? What would it give you? So just ask yourself that question and listen for what comes inside. What matters to me? What's most important in this situation? Just listen for whatever comes. Whatever you find, whatever you hear, go ahead and ask the question again. And what
what matters about that to me? Or if I had that, then what would I have? Trying to discern what's at the core of this. What deeper need or value There might be more than one. Needs are about what we do want rather than what we don't want. What is it you would like more of in this situation that really matters to you? Whatever you find, I want you to choose one. Choose one of those needs or values that feels kind of most core. And then I want to invite you to let go of the situation. Whatever degree possible, just put it aside. We're here at Spirit Rock together on a Friday afternoon. And see if you can focus on this value, this need, in and of itself, independent of any situation. Even independent of you, personally. To become aware of it as something that's part of being human with some recognition, yeah. This is important in being alive. I I want this for everyone. This value, this need, this particular quality we can experience as human beings. Can you sense the value, the inherent wholeness or worthwhileness of this particular need or quality in and of itself, regardless of any situation, whether it's met or not? might even say to yourself a a, a short phrase like, I deeply value this. Just as I long for this, so too does everyone 
on some level want or value this. Just take a few more moments to notice what that feels like to become aware of this core value, this deeper need in this more universal way as something that's a part of being human. allowing even that to dissolve and fade. Just coming back to feeling your body sitting or your breathing. What I'd like to ask you to do is to flip that index card over. And on the back, I want you to make a little chart like this with four quadrants. And on the left-hand side, on the upper left, I want you to write down what emotions you felt or identified in this situation? And on the lower left, when you get there, write down any needs or values that you identified and make sure these are in the positive, what you do want rather than what you don't want. It's not, I want you to listen to me. You're a strategy. I want understanding. I want to be heard at that deeper level. So your feelings on the top left, your needs or values on the lower left. So let's take a couple of minutes just to, just to jot that down, whatever you identified inside during the, during the reflection. <laughs>
certain percentage of you are finished with that. So if you're still working, take your time. I'm going to give the next instruction for those who, are, who have finished. On the right-hand side, so once you're clear about what's going on for you, how you're feeling and why, right? our feelings point to something that matters to us. They're information. So once you're clear about how you're feeling and why, what matters, what's important, what you, what you do want at the deeper level, now I want you to shift your attention to the other person. Use your imagination, use empathy to consider how do you think they might be feeling? So I could say your feelings or their feelings. What emotions might they be have experienced or be experiencing in this situation? And then what matters to them? What do you think they're, they're needing or valuing? What are they wanting at that deeper level? Remember, not the strategy, I want you to do this, I need it that way, but why? What's that going to give them if it happened? If you can't get behind it, it's not a need. When you actually identify a need, something that matters to the other person, something inside goes, oh yeah, I can get that. Sure. That's important to me too. That's how you know you've gotten to that level of what really matters. And we don't know, but we're guessing, we're inquiring, we're imagining what could be going on for this person. What might they want? Yeah, question. Top right is their feelings? Yeah, how do you think they're feeling? What emotions might be present in them in this situation? This exercise we're doing is also also in my book with, with the instructions written out and a, kind of a template for this. Yeah. So I'll read some different needs that might be showing up. Needs for consistency, trust, safety, choice, autonomy, harmony, attention, appreciation, support, care, acceptance, kindness, balance, mutual recognition, respect to be seen or heard or understood, to be trusted, 
to belong, to be included, cooperation, participation, growth, dignity, authenticity, meaning, acceptance, care, learning, purpose, integrity, confidence, honesty, So if they don't want to be accountable, what is it that they do want? Autonomy, Autonomy, freedom, choice. Right, so that's the shift. How do we connect, how do we get curious and connect with what is it that this person might be valuing or wanting that I can actually relate to? Choice, freedom, autonomy. Yeah, I can get that. Your strategy for how you met that didn't work for me. Right? Blowing off the agreement we had, maybe, or something like that. But I can get I can get with why you maybe did that. So one of the things we talked about earlier this morning was that one of the transformations that helps in a difficult conversation is the view where we're coming, how we're seeing things and the possibility of seeing a challenge, a conflict as an opportunity for learning. We need to be able to get curious to do that. One way of getting curious is this perspective that everything we do, we do to meet a need and to really try to listen at that level. Okay, well, what matters to you? What, what is it on the human level that could be motivating you that I can actually relate to? So let's just hear a few of the needs that you identified. What were some of the needs or values in yourself that you identified? Just want to make sure we're on the same page here about what what what, what we mean when I'm saying identify what ne- what needs you have. Self worth. Self worth. So to know that I matter. What else? Fairness. Fairness. Mm-hmm. Fairness is an interesting one. So this is this is a, this is um. I'm glad you mentioned it. So there's there is no even though there's like a needs list in my book and there's many different needs list out there. The, the aim of the need is, does it connect us with the other person? Is it something that we want for everyone? So in some situations, I could imagine identifying a need for fairness and that leading to understanding. In other situations, I could imagine that leading us to more conflict. So because of that, I would want to go one step deeper in myself and say, okay, well, what is it, if I had fairness, what would it give me? So if you had a sense that things were being fair, because life is not fair, right? That's, 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 a, that's a creation of the human mind. We all know that we don't live in a world where that's, the, that's not the reality we live in. And it's still a value we have. We want equity. We want, right? So if you had that sense of fairness in this situation, what would it give you? 
Okay, so wanting, wanting to feel valued and wanting to, wanting, wanting, every, wanting to trust that everyone's needs matter. Okay, so notice the difference between wanting to feel, feel valued and wanting to trust in our relationship that both of our needs matter and fairness. Okay, other, other things you wrote down that matter to you? Recognition. Recognition. Acceptance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, so, you know, I share the values for fairness, equity, equality, and, and I know that, that's, that the institutions and systems in the world we live do not support that in many situations. And I know there are others who might disagree with that and say, I don't want fairness, or things, you know, might not be equal. So what is it about that for you? that matters, if you had the equality that you're wanting in this situation, what would it give you? Uh, in my situation, it would give me also autonomy and choice. Okay, so autonomy and choice might, um, might be shared responsibility, teamwork, okay? So again, so what we're doing here, this isn't about what's right and wrong. This is about how can we identify what the driving vectors are in this situation in a way that we can talk about with one another and build understanding. Because if I come to you and I'm like, I I really want more equality in this situation, you might get defensive in that, right? Because there's this subtle layer of judgment that things aren't equal, and maybe they're not. But which is more likely to lead to understanding and an ability to be creative and work together? talking about my value for um, choice and freedom and shared responsibility and having like teamwork and balance or talking about my desire for equality, which is less likely to continue us doing this. So we're trying to refine this capacity to be more aware of what really matters this is as much about our own inner clarity and sense of empowerment as it is about what we may or may not say. First and most fundamentally, I want, I want us to be clear about what matters at the most fundamental level, right? That doesn't mean that in every conversation I'm going to be sharing with everyone what's, you know, the most deep vulnerable need in my heart, right? That's not, people don't always want to hear that. I'm not necessarily going to be met with the kind of understanding that I would like in every situation. But if I'm not aware of that, uh-oh, right? The more aware you are of what is actually at stake for you, the more empowered you are, the more creativity you have about how to go about meeting that need. You might discover, oh, this is what I want? I'm not getting that from them. I don't even need to have that conversation, (laughs) right? Because you're like, yeah, this isn't the right person or the right time to have that conversation. Okay, how about their needs? What did you identify they might want? Could be, how many people found that what they were wanting was in some, some way similar to what you were wanting? Fascinating, huh? How often do we think that the person we're in conflict with on some level wants the same thing we want? 
Okay, let's hear some of those needs that you identified that they might want. I saw a few other hands. Yeah, Melanie. Appreciation. Mm-hmm. Dominance. Thank you. I love, I love that you said that. Because we get to learn together now. So when I hear the word dominance, my heart does not open and say, yes. There are people in this world who I absolutely do not want to have dominance. So a need by definition is something that we want for everyone. And it's something that when we hear, we inside go, yeah. Right on. I want that for you, for you, for you, for me, for everyone. So if the person had dominance, what would that give them that you can really get behind and support? Dominance is a strategy. So this person is suggesting it might give them a sense of safety. What else might it give them? I, want, I didn't see who it came from, but I want the person who said that to, to see if you can come up with another idea. What else might that person get if they had the dominance that they were wanting? Please give them a chance to respond. Okay, so they, so they would get what they want. Okay, and if they got what they want, because there are people in this world whose, whose views I disagree with, and I don't want them to get what they want, because they're going about trying to get it at, an ex- at the expense of others. So that doesn't meet my needs for um, living in a world where everyone has enough. So if they got what they want, then what would they have? What would it give them? Wow. They might feel loved or connected. I wonder if they would feel a sense of power and agency also. Yes. Yeah, and I wonder if they might feel a sense of relief or satisfaction on some level. Or conquest. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right, and so if they... So again, so this is, this is really important. This is really important. The more you see that person from the perspective of wanting control and dominance and conquest, the less you will be able to have a productive dialogue with them. Because you will be creating in your mind an enemy image. The more you can see their humanity, I'm not saying you agree with their strategies. I'm not saying you support the choices they're making. I'm saying that you separate the act, the action from their humanity. And you, and you try to connect at that deeper level that to see maybe they're wanting to be loved. Maybe they're wanting a sense of agency because they feel helpless inside. Maybe they're wanting a sense of belonging or to know that they matter. That's, that's the place from which you will have more leverage, understanding, and balance in the conversation. And so, so this is the, this process that, that we just went through. This is the thing to do, as when you find you hit that roadblock where you're like, "Well, they just they're just being difficult." Okay, what would that give them? Keep asking that question. If they had that, then what would they have? Until you begin to see the glimmer of this person's humanity. 
the whole time I was looking at this chart, I was thinking there was a second chart that I would put up called Yes But. Uh-huh. And I think that that's where I get stuck. Like mm-hmm. I see the four quadrants, mm-hmm. and then I still make a decision sometimes that my feelings and my needs mm-hmm. are more important. Yeah. And then Thank you. it yeah. gets very difficult to even go into the right. dialogue. Great. So what, what Madison is saying, for anyone who didn't hear, is there's this yes but. And what she notices is sometimes, even having done this, there's still this part inside that goes, yeah, but my needs are more important. <laughs> and that as long as that's there, she's recognizing, like, I can't really go into dialogue because I'm not actually open. So what you're pointing to is one of the fundamental, one of the core principles of nonviolent communication, which is not only do we all have needs and our needs are attempts to meet our actions, but all of our needs matter. So we live in a world in which we have been conditioned through the media, our family, our culture, our society, through experience, most of us, maybe there's some exceptions in the room, um, have been conditioned to, to believe that it's either or. It's win or lose. And so the capacity to encompass both what matters to you and what matters to me, to hold in a dynamic tension the sense of, I want what's going to work for both of us. That capacity has atrophied. And this is what being able to use these tools depends on, is precisely the thing you're pointing to, is, is that ability to recognize that fundamentally, One of our needs as human beings is to contribute, to not cause harm. So because of that, if I'm trying to meet my needs at your expense, by definition, I'm not meeting all of my needs. So look more closely. So Marshall Rosenberg used to um, have a very clever way of helping us to get out of that mindset that says it's my way or the highway and what I want's more important and so I'm going to use whatever methods I can to get you to do what I want. So he said, ask yourself two questions. Number one, what do you want the other person to do? Usually we stop there. <laughs> and then that's when we go, we'll do anything to get our way Sometimes. The second question is, what do you want their reasons to be for doing it? Why do you want them to do it? If we ask that second question, I would guess that most of us don't want people to agree to our requests because they fear us, because they're afraid of being punished, or they feel threatened, or they feel obligated. We want people to do things that we're asking Because they want to, because they understand the value in it, because they see how this is going to contribute to us or to life in general. So when we ask those questions, that will change our approach. Now, um, just one caveat here. Um, Of course, there are situations in which where safety is at issue. It's more important to change someone's behavior or action than for them to understand why. 
right? If a child's running out in the street, you don't, you don't engage them in dialogue about the danger of cars. You grab them, right? If someone is doing physical violence to someone else and we have the means, we stop them, right? This is, this is what's known in nonviolent communication as the protective use of force. We use, for, we use as least for, the least amount of force possible for the least amount of time as possible with as much love as possible. And then as soon as safety is reestablished, then, then, we, then we engage with, in dialogue. So the last question here, and then Jan, as I want you to think about, having done this exercise, how might this change the way you approach the conversation? How might this change? Just think about it for yourself first. If you were to open the conversation, how might it change it? How might it change your intentions? Being aware of what matters to you and guessing, even if you don't know, guessing at what might matter to the other person. So take a minute or two to just consider how this would change your approach to the conversation. And then we'll, and then we'll hear from the, the, the other comments that are, that are percolating. people in front of you first but just I've got a couple of other people whose hands were up before you yeah okay Jan I'm so glad you bring bring this up. So, what Jan is Jan is saying, yes, I'm gonna repeat it. And maybe we could use the mics for for the other comments. Is um, so Jan was naming that she's Chinese, her mother is Chinese, and um, f- that part of her mother's expectations and cultural kind of understanding is the, a high value for filial piety. And so there's an expectation that Jan would visit her mother in assisted living every day but that that's not possible for you for various reasons, or that you're, you're, you're making a choice not to, to meet other needs. Right, you live an hour plus away. Yeah, and so in order to meet that request, it would come at a very high cost for you, right? So you are choosing, and because there are other needs of yours, like self-care, rest, maybe connection with your family. So... Again, so I would want to connect with your mom on the level of, of understanding for what matters to her. Um, both the sense of not only on the personal level knowing that she matters to you, but, this, but the larger sense of, I'm guessing, 
you know, actually, this might be this might be a really good example to just see what this would look like in a dialogue. So, would you be willing to um, play with me and be your mom, and I'll be you, and we can have have a little dialogue and see what these tools might look like? Okay. So, I'm really I'm really excited. So first, so first, just just a few, just a little bit of, of framing here. So. Um, one of the tools that we're going we're gonna to look at after in, the, in the second part of our afternoon that's based on this is, um, and I'll give the teaching bit now since I'm going to do this little uh, demonstration. So the fundamental building block of communication is understanding. Communication is about sending and receiving messages, right? So in order to do that, Sometimes nonverbal communication, like nodding or saying, mm-hmm, sometimes that communicates that I'm hearing you, and we know that message sent was message received. But in, um, in tricky dialogues or difficult situations, we need a little bit more of a tool to, to confirm that understanding is actually happening and to build that relationship and to confirm that I'm hearing you. So one of the things that I'm going to be demonstrating is a skill that I call reflecting before you respond. So when the other person says something, I want to check that I'm actually hearing them, both for my own understanding and so that they can feel heard. And so I'm completing the communication by doing that. So we're going to do this. We're going to have some fun. and some puppets here. I know, I didn't ask you about this before you agreed, so you can back out if you want. So this is, the, this is the jackal puppet, and this represents our habitual ways of communicating, the ways we've been trained by our society, which is a language of blame and shame and obligation and demand and should and shouldn't and right and wrong. So this is our, often our habitual way of communicating. So we're going to let your, um, your mom communicate in that habitual way of, of speaking. And then the giraffe is the, the language of the heart, compassionate communication or nonviolent communication. The giraffe is the land mammal with the largest heart. And it also has, it has a long neck so it can see really well. Okay. So it's so good to see you, Mom. I'm so glad I was able to come out today. Well, I'm glad you're finally here. <laughs> Yeah, I know how important it is for you to, to have me visit. Oh, I'm glad you're finally here. Yeah, I know how important it is for you for me to, for, for, to see me and for me to visit. Yeah, that's true, but, you know, gosh, you're my daughter, and you need to be here a lot more than you do. Hmm. So I'm just taking that moment, right? (laughs) Very important. One of the most important things we can do is having just that space, that pause, to be aware of what we're feeling so that we're not throwing the reactivity back and arguing. You know, I'm glad you said that, Mom. I've been wanting to talk about it. And I really want to see if I understand. When you say that, what I'm hearing is that for you and the tradition in, in our family for generations, my being here every day is really, really important. Yeah, that's true. You're just here too little of the time. Mm, mm. 
Yeah, I'm wondering if part of what makes it important to you, so now I'm listening for the needs, is part of what makes it important for you, Mom, that um, it feels like I'm doing my duty to you as a daughter in the same way that you did your duty as a daughter to your parents? Um, Gosh, you know... uh... I don't remember that far back, but I, because <laughs> I'm 96 years old. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I was good to my mom. Mm, mm-hmm. So it's something about carrying on the tradition in our our family and being able to be here. Yeah, it's just the Chinese way, you know, mm. traditional filial piety, mm-hmm. you know. And I wish you would be that kind of daughter, you know. I, and I get kind of lonely here sometimes. And your son and daughter visit me sometimes, but it's not the same. Mm-hmm. I want you here more. Mm-hmm. So you're really longing to see me. It sounds like it's, it's lonely and it would be really meaningful if I were around more. That would be really nourishing for you, huh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But then sometimes she just doesn't answer me. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, um, I'm so glad we're talking about this because um, I want to tell you what's going on for me also. And I also just, I also just really want to make sure that you feel understood and that you get that, that I understand, and so what I'm getting is it's 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 not just about our values in the Chinese way that that's really important to you, knowing that you know I'm carrying on that tradition, but also that it matters to you personally that it, that you want the company and and uh, yeah, I'm wondering, Mom, if it, if it helps you to feel loved when I come to see you. Yeah, it really does. It's I just somehow there's something in me that um I need you to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, I I'm just um kind of traditional in that way. Mm-hmm. It would be so important. It would be so meaningful for you if I were here every day. It sounds like it would really just make a huge difference. Yeah. Or maybe you could stay longer when you come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really hearing how important having more time together is for you and that, how, how nourishing that's going to be for you. So I'm empathizing with her strategy verbally, but I'm connecting with what she actually wants in my heart. That she wants company, she wants to feel connected, she wants to know that she matters. Okay? And now I'm not, not necessarily agreeing with those strategies but I'm wanting to I'm wanting to try to hear and understand things from her perspective and if you love me um I would think you would stay here longer yeah when you come to visit it would really it would really meet your need for love if I were here more regularly yeah it it would so notice how Mm -hmm. I turned that around you know mom I'm wondering if you could listen to me for a little bit because I really want to tell you what's in my heart. Okay. 
I've been really torn up about this. I want nothing more than to be able to do what you're asking. I would love to see you every day and spend time with you and have you feel that I'm carrying on our family's tradition and loving you the way you want to be loved. And it breaks my heart that I'm not. It really does. I'm wondering, and I want to tell you why, but I'm just wondering how it is for you to hear me say that. Well, I, I appreciate your saying that because sometimes I didn't feel that you knew that or could understand how mm. I felt about that. Wow, I'm just really, really sad hearing that, that to think that you wouldn't know how much I want to be here. And so I'm so glad that we're having this conversation right now. Thank you. I, and I want you to know I do love you. Um, and maybe I need, I know I need to tell you more often, mm. but sometimes I just don't. But I appreciate those words you've just said. Thank you, Mom. I love you too. So, we can maybe pause here. (laughs) Thank you. So what I would do, so there's a few things, there's a lot going on in that. The first move was just trying to understand where mom was coming from and doing my own work around my own reactivity, around the blame and the if you loved me and the obligation and all that stuff that was coming, not taking it on. And staying true to myself. I was deeply connected to my own needs. I can't sit two hours a day in traffic every day to come to visit you. It's just not going to happen. I was clear about that. But I was also clear that I want, to, I want us to understand each other. And so the first step was just really trying to help her hear, feel understood. The next step was shifting the focus from her to me. And I, I wonder if you noticed how I did that. Right? I asked her if she was willing to listen to me some. I said, I really want to share what's in my heart. Or I want to tell you what's been going on for me. Or I'd love for you, I'd love to be able to explain to you a little bit about why I haven't been around more often. Would you be open for hearing some of that? So I'm doing what's called shifting the center of the, of, of the focus in the conversation from her to me. And I did that very intentionally and consciously by asking her permission, can I have the floor now? And then at a certain point it went back to her and I stayed with her around her feeling, you know, um, her appreciating it and feeling uh, uh, relief that she knows that I, I care about and love her. But then what I would want to do is I would want to share more about the inner conflict I would want to let her know why I'm making the choice I'm making. I would want her to understand that my not coming at the frequency and for the amount of time that she would like is not because I don't want to be there because I don't don't love her, but it's because of A, B, C, and D. Right? I'm also trying to do this. I have this responsibility with this person in in my family, or I have these agreements, or I have this issue with my health, or I have these other appointments to go to. And if I were to do that, here's the cost. 
here's the impact that would have on my well-being or on my husband's well-being or on my children's well-being or on my job so that she has the information about why I'm making the choice I'm making. She understands my needs. And then whether or not I come more often, we're understanding each other. And that starts to change the relationship because one of our most fundamental needs is to know that we matter. We can't always meet each other's needs. But what happens is that we misinterpret that to mean I don't care about you. Your needs don't matter. So if, if we felt heard and understood to our satisfaction, if we really felt that the other person deeply got us, how much of the time would we actually need to get our way and get what we want? Right? It's, it's, that, it's that other level of really knowing that someone sees and understands us and they get us. In many situations, that's what's actually more important. Once, once we feel that, the other stuff can start to shift. Actually, can, can I, I want to I just, before we go on, I want to just check with you and see how was that for you and was there anything that you learned that you want to share with everyone and just speak into the mic so folks can hear you. Um, it was okay for me. I'm not a public person. So yes. <laughs> it was kind of hard, but um, I tried to ignore it. Yeah, I appreciate your <laughs> stretching beyond your comfort zone. People. But um, I think um, skillfully shifting the center of focus and asking mm-hmm. my mom's permission to mm. do that mm. uh, and voicing um, my situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then shifting it back, yeah. you know, yeah, that that was helpful. Great. Uh, and to hear, reflect back her needs, mm-hmm. and then shifting the center of focus. I think asking her permission, yeah. giving her, cause she, I think she has a real need for a sense of control because, uh-huh. of, partly because of the concept of filial piety, mm-hmm. you know. So it gives her the respect that the she respect. wants. The respect. Yes. Great. And then I can then voice my particular uh, complications and then shifting Great. it back and then, you know, Great. the rest. Great. Yeah. Thank you. So let's pass the mic. Oh, you no, have a mic. I, I just wanted to add, isn't it possible to see in a different aspect that the mother uh, being the center, she gave herself a lot to others mm-hmm. throughout right. her life. Yeah. And then she expects that sure. somebody at this point give in back. age, will mm-hmm. give her yeah. back. Yeah. So uh, so whatever she says, it doesn't mean much because probably along the, uh, her life, her own life, she gave job or... It's very possible. Know, yeah. That so, that could be one of her needs is, is, to, is to receive. Yeah, because to, now she's 96 yes. yeah. and, you know... So if that were the case, then I would just want to empathize with that. I would just want to offer understanding for that. You gave so much in your life. You sacrificed so much for others. And I'm really hearing how much you're in a phase in your life where you're expecting and really wanting others to give back. I would want to connect with that value underneath it and, and, and you know, validate it or help, help, help uh, my mother to feel seen in that, that I understand that. Yeah, by giving a job or whatever else as an excuse will never 
in my opinion, yes. achieve uh, her needs because... Well, so again, so this is the distinction. Yeah. Yeah. It's the distinction between being able to meet her request yes. and being able to help her feel seen and understood for what matters to us. We might not be able to meet her request, right? but hopefully we can help her to feel seen and understood for what matters to us. And if she feels that we, that we understand what really is important to her, then there's some space for her to hear why we're maybe making a different choice than what she would like. Yeah. I'd like to hear from some of the other folks who have their hands up. top for either person, you know, suspicion or deception. Mm -hmm. And then how to, you know, I think hopefully for most people the values of, you know, trust and sincerity on Mm -hmm. the bottom of both parts. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you throw in the curveball of, you know, sociopath personalities and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, and just you can have an understanding, but is there any truth to it? So I think that I think that when we're dealing, you mentioned the word sociopath, I think that's an extreme situation. And hope you know I, I feel like I meet one a week easy. Yeah. I'm yeah. not, I'm not trying to be yeah. No, no, I hear you. That they don't have a conscience, their needs, they right. almost tell you anything to meet their needs. They don't really care about trust. They don't yeah. care about connection. They just want to have their needs met yeah. anyway. Yeah. And so, so, so in those situations, having the clarity around our own needs and being able to make clear requests is really important. And being able to, you know, again, it's to, to be able to advocate for oneself and say, I'm really hearing what's important to you, and here's why that's not going to work for me, and here's what's important. A lot of times I'll say, times I'll say exactly what you want to hear on mm-hmm. purpose to get yeah. what they want, but it's not actually sincere. Yeah, and then that's, why, that's where I think we need to trust our own intu- intuition. Just walk away? Just walk away? It's, it's a choice I think we each need to make. I mean, I, what I'm hearing is you're really grappling with how do, we, how do we engage when we don't trust that there's a baseline of, of, of honesty? How do we engage with someone when we can't have that innate sense of we're playing by the same rules in some way? Yeah? Um, I think it's very dependent on the situation, right? In some situations, if, you, you know, if I determine that someone in my life, if I can't have... Honesty is the foundation of a, of a healthy relationship. If I determine that there's someone in my life that I can't, have, I can't have honesty with, and I've brought that up to them, and I've made an effort, and I've tried everything I know how to do, and there's no... Um, they're not my boss. It's not you know, someone that I need to interface with to get my basic needs. But I might make a choice to not put energy into that relationship to end the relationship, if I feel like I'm in my own integrity and having done what I can to try. So I think it's, it depends on the situation to make that choice for each of us. And, if it's, and then if, it's, if we don't have that, to, um, that option, then to do the best that we can to stay connected to, to our needs and to advocate for, for ourselves. But what if it is your boss? That's what I... Right. Again, again, so then to do, to do your best to stay, to find a new job. <laughs> so I think when we're dealing with a situation like that, there's a, there's a number of strategies. Um, number one, um, getting support from others. So how do other people deal with them, right? Draw on the wisdom and the support of others in the workplace. That's one. Two, the, uh, building rapport goes a long way. So try to develop a relationship with this person outside of the particular issues you're trying to deal with. So how was your weekend? How are your kids? I didn't know you followed football. That was a great game last weekend, wasn't it? 
in a genuine way, try to develop some context for the relationship so that when you bring something up that's challenging or that you're asking for something, it's not the only point of contact you have. There's some other context within which that you're having that conversation. So that's number two. Um, And then I think number three, the things that we talked about before in terms of being able to identify if this is someone who is unable or unwilling to see outside of their own frame of reference or their own needs, and we, in order to meet our needs, we need something from them, then we need to be creative enough to figure out how we can frame things in a way that they see the value in what we're asking, how it's going to contribute to them, if that's the only language they speak. Yeah, the bottom line, that's how it is with this client. Mm -hmm. I put it all back to how much revenue do you want? Right. And then she hears that. I don't say it in a sarcastic way. So... There are many, many things that we can we can go, many directions we can go here. And there's there's two more important skills that I want to share with you this afternoon. So there were a few questions that came up before when we were doing this. So I want to try to bring it back to this activity and questions that came up in relation to it. So you've had your hand up for a while in the in the back here. I wanted to ask a question about the dynamic tension and the and thank yes. you to our classmate who brought up the thing with mom because I feel like there's a dynamic tension where the daughter is not, the daughter is acknowledging mom's needs. She's trying to be mm-hmm. present and make mom feel heard uh-huh. and not automatically going to that place where let me tell you all the things I yes. have going on for me. Right. But in doing that and being respectful and, and holding space for yeah. her mom's feelings, she still walks away holding that dynamic tension of knowing this situation is not resolved, this outcome. My mom is not going to give me permission not to visit her two days a week versus seven days a week. And often we find ourselves in, in relationships where we may not solve the issue, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. we can't solve it in this case. But we, don't know, the, we don't know that. We didn't actually right, finish we didn't, the conversation. We okay, we don't know. But what are the tools when you're the person being left with that dynamic tension, you know, I guess what you're, I think I, what I hear you saying is that we have to resolve that tension for ourselves, whether it be we look for a different job, we accept that our mom is never going to give us permission not to visit every day. You are left, you, you, you have to, you have to give up what you're, what you, you have to have non-attachment to the outcome at that point in the difficult conversation and go elsewhere? Yeah, so thank you. How do we deal, how do we relate when maybe there isn't space for the other person to hear our side of things and empathize with us and we're not able to reach a mutual understanding? Um, So a couple things. So number one, in this situation... I chose to empathize first because that was the that was the sense. I want to be really clear that um, there are no shoulds or always. And in some situations, uh, if I don't have the space inside to do that, what what I'm what might be more authentic and the only option I might have in terms of my own internal resources would be to express first. Would be to sit. Would be to basically begin by asking for the center of attention to say, "Mom." I know how upset you are that I haven't been here in a few days. And before you say anything else, I need you to know what's been going on. 
And, and, and then just, just to lay it out, not blaming her, but just saying like, I have been so overwhelmed. It was, I, I've been wanting to get here every day and I have been working 14 hours a day. So-and-so just went into the hospital. I've got this you know, going on also and I'm just barely holding it together. I hope you can understand I'm really at my wit's end. I would, I would want to express my pain and, and let the other person know what's in my heart. So it's not always, you know, in every situation that we're able to offer that listening and understanding first. We might need to ask for it if that's what's authentic for us. So on one le- so that's, that is to say in response to your question, the other part of the dialogue that we didn't get to is that expression as much of really sharing, here's what's going on for me and working to try to help the person understand. You know, so then they, they, they defend themselves, but you really need to, you know, you need to do this because da-da-da-da, and say, Mom, I, I really hear how important it is to you, and what I'm asking is if you can see things from my perspective right now. Are you able to hear, can you imagine what I'm going through? Really trying to help the person to see, and I'm going to want to do my best to try to express as clearly and openly as I can, in a non-blaming way, what's actually true for me. And try as hard as I can, with as much integrity as I can, to create that understanding. Now, if I do all of that, and I feel like I either don't have the skills anymore, or the patience, or the energy, or the time to build the understanding, yes, then it comes down to, I've tried my best, I feel like I'm in my integrity, I did everything I could, and this isn't up to me anymore. And then, and then doing the internal work um, to mourn the results of not being able to find understanding, to practice forgiveness for the other person, forgiveness for myself, for not being, not being super person and meeting everyone's needs, um, and, and, and finding a way to be at peace with unmet needs, which is part of being human is that we have unmet needs. And so my need to know that the people who I care about the most in life feel loved, that's really painful if I can't meet that need. And if that's the reality, then how do I come to peace with that? You know, that's the work of, that's the, work of the heart. That's the work of contemplative practice. Yeah. Um, going back to the work Can you just wait for the mic? Just touching base on the work situation, um, is there or are there any tools that you would suggest for establishing your boundaries that, in a way that could not be perceived as defensive posturing or um, being closed and not open to discussion, but yet still maintaining I think state, that boundary? Right. I think stating the value, stating both values together. So being able to, to state the value, you know, I really value dialogue, I value having open relationships, and um, I want that in our workplace, and I would, I, would, um, I would eventually like to have that together. And at this particular point in time, I'm not feeling safe enough for that. I think I need some time and some space before I can, op- before I can get there. 
So what I would ask is, um, if you if if we if we speak together, I would like for someone else to be present when we're when we have conversations, at least for the next month, and then we can check in again. Would that work for you? That's how that's how I might say that. I would lead with the with the with the thing that I'm valuing that I'm saying. I want you to know this is important to me. I'd like to get there. Here's the limitation. Here's the other need I have, and then I would make a clear request about what I do want, not what I don't want. I don't want you to speak to me alone. That's going to shut the other person down. How can you frame it in terms of something that they can do? So I'd like for us to only communicate by written correspondence. I'd like for someone else to be present when we talk. Right? I'd like to only speak um, when there are other people in the room. Whatever, whatever the, the request is. Great. I want to take a break. Let's, 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 t- let's take two more comments. Shay's hand was up about 10 minutes ago. And then, and then this person in front. Um, somebody mentioned energy. Mm-hmm. And what keeps coming up for me is um, that this is going to take energy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And with the busy, crazy, hectic lives that many of us live, um, that energy seems difficult to tap into sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, actually, I'm wondering, like, personally... Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you? How does? I mean, I could say how do you or how does one, one. do this um, when one doesn't feel like they have the energy? Like for me at work, I can do this all day. Like it's my job to do this, so uh-huh. I can do it at work. But after eleven hours of that, and then raising a kid, yeah, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not having the energy to do that. Right. This, you know, focused attention um, at you know eleven o'clock when somebody else is expressing their needs. So yeah. So. <laughs> Thank you. It's a, it's a really important question. I mean, I, I think the first thing that I want to say is, and you, you started there, which I really appreciate, is, is the, the kind of the wider context of the... that we're living in a... In a insane system that's not designed to meet human needs that has unrealistic unrealistic expectations that that does that doesn't value human well-being and human flourishing right and so particularly like for parents it's like i think recognizing our limitations in that larger context is really important um so on one level, I think it's really important to have support, to have, as, particularly with raising kids, because the whole nuclear family thing, like Jack always makes the Jack Cornfield always makes the joke, like they call it nuclear family for a reason, right? Like, um, getting as much support as possible, you know, shared childcare, and making sure that you're being nourished, that you have the friends that you can turn to to fill your own cup. Um, I think those are those are probably the most important thing. The other things that I would say are um, there's a learning curve, and the amount of energy it takes actually goes down over time. It's like anything else; it takes more energy at the beginning, but actually, in the long run, it takes less energy. It takes more energy to argue and defend ourselves than it does to flow with things and to actually hear other people. We just have to develop the skill, and it's developing the skill that takes some energy. 
I think the last the last thing is it's about a for me it's about a deep commitment to to nonviolence and to non-harming. And so there's something we call, we talk about in nonviolent communication called screaming in giraffe where it's like we can express our pain or limitation in a way that's where we're not, you know, so if it's like you know, it's 11 o'clock and like your intimate partner is expressing their needs, you know, and you've had a long day and the kid was driving you nuts and they just went to bed and you're spent and it's like, sweetheart, there's nothing left. Like, I so want to be able to hear you right now and I also feel like I'm about to snap and blow up. And I don't want to do that. Can we please have this conversation another time? You know, just speaking from that place of truth and pain inside. And maybe it's going to come out like that. And maybe it's going to come out like, I don't have any energy left to have this conversation. I feel so overwhelmed and drained. Please, can we talk about this tomorrow? No blame. I'm just speaking my truth. Right? Fully authentically. So that's the other thing is when we don't have the energy, when we don't have the, to, we can still say that, we can make that request. Yeah. There's one more comment and then we'll, we'll shift gears. Sure, I'll keep it short. Um, I wonder if you could just say a little bit more about the work, what, like healing work or yeah. heart work or other somatic sure. work. Once you've decided that a relationship needs to be severed, right? Because I sort of feel like yeah. I've had to sever a lot of relationships and there's still a lot of lingering pain. Yeah. And I don't necessarily want to go to those people and right. seek comfort, right? But so how do I how do I heal from that? How does uh-huh. anyone heal from that? Uh-huh. Just a short one. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's a valid it's a valid question. It's a valid question. Um So, I think healing is is mysterious in some ways. There are many. I mean, I'll 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 give a bunch of ideas, but I think there's some kind of respect for, like, the heart heals on its own timeline. It's not something that we can do on a schedule. You know, it's more about creating the conditions, the right conditions. Like, if you get a cut, you want to clean it. You want to keep it moist or dry, depending on the, the wound. And then the body heals. And the, the psyche and the heart are the same way. You want to give it the right conditions, and then it will heal on its own over time. Um, so one of those conditions is loving community. And whatever needs weren't met in that relationship, finding other ways to meet them. So that the wound that's there that is, is being addressed in another way. So that's one of the most important conditions, I think, is, is having people who can understand and empathize with you. And, you know, a meditation teacher and a communication trainer. And on the meditation teaching side, we, we talk a lot about the internal process and one's own healing work and so forth. And, and you know, the Buddha spoke at length about the importance of good companions and friendship and that being an essential part of the path. And it, it doesn't get its proper due a lot of the time in meditation circles because there's so much emphasis on the silent practice. But having that 
support of others who can, you know, listen, offer understanding is really key. Um, being and 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 then um, developing resilience, developing resources. So this is about like cleaning the wound, right? We need to make sure that we have the proper strength internally before we go to do healing work. So are you taking care of yourself? Are you eating well? Do you have community? Do you have meaning in your life? Are you cultivating wholesome mind states like gratitude and kindness and compassion and generosity? All of these things that uplift the spirit. We need a solid base of those healthy qualities in order to do healing work. If we're just depleted and, you know, battered, we can't, then we need to, we need to nourish ourselves first before we can heal from that. The, the, the nourishing itself is an essential part of the healing. So that's, a, that's creating the right conditions. Then there's the process of allowing ourselves to feel the pain. It hurts. Loss hurts. Separation hurts. There's no way around it. Experiencing it. Actually being willing to consciously feel the pain and the suffering of disconnection. Of not being able to work it out. Of not having someone in our life. And bringing tenderness and compassion to that in our in ourself, and then um, within that process, then there are often kind of layers of investigation, of understanding more deeply the ways we contributed to things, um, what was at stake for it, what was at play for us, um, and forgiveness ultimately being able to to forgive ourselves, being able to forgive the other person not condone their actions, but to, you know, to, to set ourselves free from that, from holding on. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's some of the, some of the terrain. You're welcome. So, um, just a few, a few words before, uh, before we take our break. Um, if you enjoy, um, the way that I teach or speak about things, I would love to stay in touch and the best way to do that is through my email list. I send out a couple of emails a month um, with some kind of an offering, an article I've written, a talk that I gave, or a free online event, things like that. Um, so you can do that on the email sign-up list outside by printing your, your address clearly. You know, it only works if you print clearly. Or, and I, I have yet to find a way to do this that doesn't feel uncomfortable for me, but I'm still going to do it anyway because it's actually the easiest way to do it is through your cell phone by sending a text message. So if you send a text message to the number 44222, here's the uncomfortable infomercial part. You send a text message to the number 44222 with the word guided, G-U-I-D-E-D. It'll sign you up for my email list and it comes with a a free guided meditation series and a free ebook uh, on... Guided, G-U-I-D-E-D, guided, like guided meditation. So that's the email list. Um, I'm going to hang out on the break. If anyone else wants a book signed, I'll be outside. And um, please pick up a copy of my schedule or some of the upcoming events that are happening. I'll be teaching here at Spirit Rock um, for the next two Monday nights. So if you're in the area, come back, uh, come back on Monday nights. So let's take 15 minutes. Um, we'll start again at a quarter to four.
4-4-2-2-2 and the word guided, G-U-I-D-E-D.
Okay, so this is the die-hard crew. These are these are the y'all are the folks who didn't cut out before the, uh, the last segments. So I want to share um, two or three more tools with you that um, I think are essential in difficult conversations. So. Sometimes in a conversation, we need to pause, not just internally, but we actually need to take a break from the conversation, right? We may need to say to the other person in some way, I don't think now is the right time to have this conversation. Sometimes we may need to interrupt somebody. How do we do that without, how do we do that and minimize the risks how do we do that without um, damaging further the relationship? So I want to share with you um, just a, a little formula or format, both for pausing the conversation as well as for interrupting and shifting the center of, the, of attention in the conversation like, like Jan and I did before. So there are, there are three parts. So these follow both of these, either taking a break from the conversation or interrupting someone, follow the same kind of uh, structure. And so I'll do it first with pausing, and then I'll give a couple of examples of interrupting. And this is also uh, in my book, along with some examples of each. So the first thing we want to do is we want to lead with the intention to connect. So if you and I are having a conversation and I get to a point where I can't really listen anymore, or neither of us can listen, and it feels like this isn't going anywhere, and I want to take a break, and I just say, I can't talk about this anymore, and walk away, or hang up, or say, I can't talk about this anymore, let's, you know, that's likely to be interpreted as a rejection. So I want to lead with my intention to connect. I want to let the other person know that the first thing I say is, I'm really committed to figuring this out, or I want to have this conversation, or I want to hear what you have to say. Something along those lines. I want to lead, I want the first thing the person hears to be some kind of positive intention about why I'm about to pause the conversation or ask for that. How will this serve so in maybe the example that we were talking about right before the break of it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm really exhausted and I don't have anything left, like I want to be able to give you the attention that you want and that you deserve. That might be the first thing I say. Right? So I'm leading with something that the other person is, is reassuring for them. 
Then I want to state my limitation, my needs. What's actually getting in the way of that? And I'm totally spent right now. Or I really want to have this conversation and I'm noticing that I feel completely overwhelmed. Or I'm feeling really defensive and I'm not trusting that anything else I say right now is going to be useful. State your limitation. What's getting in the way of that? And then last, make a clear request that includes some kind of a time frame. Could we take a break for an hour? Could we put this on hold and come back tomorrow? Could we take a break and I'll give you a call within the next week to set something up for continuing the conversation? So we want to make the request about pausing the conversation and give the other person some kind of idea about what we are proposing will happen next so they're not left hanging. Like, well, so is this going to be a day, a month? When am I going to hear from you? So lead with the intention to connect. Something about what you do want that you think is going to be reassuring for the other person. State your limitation, what's getting in the way of that. And then last, make a request for pausing the conversation. So this would be using this to, to, to take a break from the conversation because you don't have the space inside. It's not going in a useful direction. Neither person can listen, right? If you can't listen and I can't listen, that's, what, that's when to stop because ain't no communication happening if neither of us can listen. Now, sometimes we might need to interrupt, that could happen because we're feeling full. I can't take in any more information. I'm feeling confused. You've said a few things and I'm starting to lose track. Um, You're getting really activated and you've said a number of things that are a little bit charged and I have the sense, this is internal now, I'm not actually saying this to the other person, I have the sense that you're not actually getting the understanding you want. So I want to actually interrupt you to help de-escalate the situation so that you can feel heard and understood, right? So in all three of those situations, I'm feeling like full and I, I need to sort of digest this. I'm confused, I want to clarify something or I want to make sure you're feeling heard because you're just kind of going on and on and getting more amped up. In all three of those, the center of focus is staying with you. I also might want to interrupt because you just said something and if I don't speak up right now, I'm not going to be able to listen anymore because I need to respond or clarify something. Now I'm shifting the center focus to myself. Okay? So, whichever of those we're doing, we can use this same format. Interrupt with the intention to connect. So let the first thing the person hears be why you're interrupting. That's something that will be reassuring to them. For example, I want to make sure I'm getting everything you're saying. I really want to make sure I'm understanding. I want to make sure I'm hearing you. What you're saying is really important. Something along those lines. Okay? Particularly if we are beginning to speak before someone has finished, otherwise known as interrupting, If we're doing that, we want those first words to be something that's going to land softly. So it might even be, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, or forgive me for cutting in here. I really want to hear everything that you're saying. I really want to finish. I really want to 
work this out, what you're saying is important to me, something along those lines, okay? So the person knows that the reason I'm speaking up right now and inter- interjecting is not because I'm trying to shut you down, take control of the conversation, you know, um, disagree with you, but I'm actually doing this in service of us hearing each other. That's the message we want to send. Then, again, state your needs or limit. What's getting in the way of that? So, for example, I'm so sorry to interject. I really want to really hear what you're saying, and I'm starting to lose track. Or I'm beginning to feel a little bit overwhelmed, and I want to make sure that I'm understanding everything. Or you've said a few things that sound really important, and I want to make sure you feel heard. So state your need. Why, why are you now speaking up? Or what is the limit that's preventing you from continuing to listen? And then make a request. So if I'm wanting to offer some empathy or reflection, some understanding to you, then I'm going to say something like, can I just tell you a little bit of what I'm hearing to make sure that I've got it right? Can I tell you what I'm getting from what you said to just to make sure that I'm really understanding? I'm so sorry to interject. You said a few things that sound really, really important and I want to make sure that you feel heard. Can I tell you what I'm getting from what you said? So all, all, all of those, the center of focus stays with you. Even though I'm speaking, I'm not p- taking the center of the conversation. I'm keeping it with you. But if I can't actually listen anymore because I'm feeling full or because I'm confused or overwhelmed or because I'm concerned that you're not feeling heard, then I want to actually interject and interrupt to make sure that I can continue to listen and that the understanding is actually happening. Now, if I want to take the center of attention, then the request I'm going to make is going to be different. I'm so sorry to interject. I really want to hear what you're saying. And I want to clarify something about what you just said. Would it be okay if I ask a question? Would you mind if I respond to one point that you just made? Again, I'm asking permission to take the center of attention back. If I just yank it, no, that's not what happened. Right? Now we're, now we're in that tug of war. We're not actually hearing each other. So I want to I wanna make that turn in the conversation consciously and with consent, if possible. So whether pausing or interrupting, this is a formula or a format that you can follow to interject in, in the conversation. So what I'd like you to do is to think of a conversation that you have had or that you might need to have in a situation where you either you get to that place where you need to stop the conversation or where you might need to interrupt. And I want you to write down what you could say to the other person using these steps. And then you're going to be with a partner and just each read it to one another and get some feedback on how it sounds. If there's anything in what you wrote down that the other person says, you know, this one word, I would get, I would get defensive or reactive if I heard that. What if you said it this way? So take a few minutes to... Write down a sentence that follows this format for how you could pause or interrupt in a conversation.
Yeah, so just uh, write down a sentence that you would say to someone else in a conversation if you needed to take a break from the conversation or if you felt like you needed to interrupt. So how many people need more time? Okay, we'll take another minute or two. I actually am going to change what I said a moment ago. Instead of working with a partner now, we're going to do one more thing and then then talk to a partner. Um, So when Jan and I did the little role play, I talked about the fundamental building block of communication being understanding and completing a cycle, confirming that message sent was message received. And the tool for doing that being to reflect before you respond. So this is not a dogma. This is not thou shalt always. This is a tool. This is a skill that we want to develop so that we have choice and flexibility. So I want to um, just explain this tool. 
because this is, this is the, the last thing that I want to share with you today that um, can be useful in challenging situations. A couple of people asked on the break, what about de-escalating or when, someone, when you're under fire, when someone's coming at you? So our tendency is um, to, if someone said, when someone says something, to respond immediately rather than to try to receive the message, to try to hear where the person's coming from. Now again, this is not um, saying that in every single situation, reflecting before you respond is what's going to be most useful. Sometimes what's, uh, what's called for in terms of our own capacities and values is to set a limit, is to, is to say, you know... I'm really committed to figuring this out together and the way you're speaking with me doesn't meet my needs for respect or care. Would you be willing to lower your voice? I'd like to work this out. Some of the things you just said are really hurtful for me. I think I need a few moments to figure out how I'd like to respond. Would you be willing to say that again in a different way? Okay, sometimes expressing ourselves clearly is what's, what's going to be called for in the moment. However, I want you to have the choice. Am I choosing to express myself or am I offering a moment of understanding? So when someone says something that's difficult to hear, what we want to train ourselves to do is to listen with the ears of a giraffe to be able to hear what's in their heart, how they're feeling, but more importantly, what matters to them. What are they needing? So if someone says to me, you're so selfish, instead of listening to the words and the judgment, I'm going to listen for what they want. So if someone says, you're so selfish, what are they needing or wanting? Attention, what else? Understanding, consideration. So are you needing some more attention or consideration? Yeah, you're only invo- you 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 only you only uh, you only care about yourself. So you're really wanting to know that I care about you and that you're important to me. I'm just trying to hear what's what the the needs are for the person, or perhaps what they're feeling. So this is this capacity to reflect what we're hearing the other person is saying before we respond, before I say my side of things, my piece, where I'm coming from, how I see it. Because if I don't, what's, ha- what's happening, if I don't do that, what's happening is this. They send a message. I get reactive and send another message. They get reactive and send another message. We're not actually hearing each other. It's like the call dropped and we're both still talking. So when they send a message, I want to be able to say, oh, is this what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Ah, okay, now that's done. I got the message. And I'm trying to listen underneath the words. In a difficult conversation, it's probably not going to come wrapped in nice paper. Right? It's, the message is going to be hard to hear on the surface. So I want to train myself to hear not the words, not the thoughts, not the judgment or the blame, but what matters to them underneath it. And then to have the ability to reflect to offer a moment of understanding. So is what you're saying this? Let me see if I'm hearing you. Is this what matters to you? Is this what's important to you? So 
think about something that someone has said or might say to you that would be a little challenging to hear. Again, not the most difficult thing. Generally these, generally, these come with you are at the beginning. I was just curious if the reflection is always in the form of a question. Yes. Yeah, so the reflection, thank you, it's an important question. The reflection is, is generally in the form of a question. We're, we're checking that we've understood rather than telling the other person what they said. Very, very important. We're inquiring, okay? Um, sometimes it might be, so you're saying that things have felt really out of balance and you've had enough and you really need something to change. Is that right? So the first part was a sentence, but then I'm checking. Is that right? So it's always this sense of, I want to see if I've got it. Otherwise, we push the autonomy button and it's like, don't psychoanalyze me. or right. So it's always that sense of checking. And again, this is serving two purposes. One, it's, it's transforming my own heart because I'm now hearing and connecting with your humanity. But it's also trying to give you the relief of feeling heard and understood. So this is, this is the process of de-escalating. Offering that understanding. Can I hear what matters to you? How you're feeling or, how you're, or what you're wanting or valuing? So think of something someone might say or has said to you that's a little challenging. And then how could you offer a reflection? How could you offer an understanding for what matters to that person? So let's try one or two of these. So who has, who has something that they want to they wanna try out? Something someone has said to you, yeah. Um, if somebody says to you, like, comment or response and says, oh, that was harsh. Oh, that was harsh. Okay. So how, how might you offer a reflection? What is that person wanting? So the reason why I'm doing this with you is because I couldn't think of Can we get her a mic? And just for the sake of time, I want to drop the story and just go right to the reflection for practice. Okay, so, so let's get help from others. So if someone says, you're so harsh, or that was harsh, how could we offer reflection? What are they wanting? What are they wanting more of? Kindness. What else? Acceptance. So how would you ask a question if, for, if the person might be wanting more kindness or acceptance? You don't have to get it right. This is, this is key. It's just about trying to understand. Um, how could I say this in a way that would be good for you? Okay. So that is, um, is not offering them understanding. That's proposing a strategy. Okay, so I could which, say... Which might register as understanding, but at, at this particular moment, what I'm wanting to do is just train in the skill of being able to offer someone a, a reflection of, of the message that we're receiving from them. Here's, it's like someone, someone says something to you, they're giving you something. And what you want to do is you want to give it back to them and say, I think this is what you wanted me to hear, but I'm not sure, so I'm checking. So if someone says to me, that was harsh, I might say back to them, were you wanting to be spoken to in a kinder, more gentle way? Okay, so was some, was something something in my words really didn't connect with you, and you were wanting more acceptance? And that's and even if it didn't feel that way to you, that would be a good entree yes. into the situation. Okay, we're not agreeing with their assessment. Okay, we're trying to hear what matters to them, and very important now. What I'm this is a training exercise. This is a training tool. This is about 
going, this is about retraining our habit of defending and arguing and, and blaming and instead training ourselves in the capacity to have a different choice, to be able to respond with, okay, let me see if I can hear where you're coming from. Okay, so would you like me to say the same thing in a kinder way? Or would you like me to speak to you in a kinder way? Yeah, is that better? Okay. Yeah, so that would, that would be, that would be you're, you're empathizing, you're offering an understanding for their request. Yeah, so maybe the microphone, give the microphone to the person in front of you. So more examples. What if, if that's not what they want? They then don't they'll want tell to, you. They don't want to hear the message at all, whether it's said harshly or mm-hmm. nicely. Yeah, so then I would empathize with that. So no, what you're saying is totally out of line. So you're having trouble making sense of what I'm saying and it sounds like you see things in a very different way. Is that right? I would want to, I would want to offer understanding for that message. This is, this is um, it's, it's like an Aikido move. Something comes at you and you just turn it around to hear, this isn't about me on some level. Yeah, they're responding to something I've done, I've done or said, but ultimately they're expressing something that's important to them. Can I try to get to that? What are they saying? Um, I'm not sure if I can trust you. I mean, because maybe I don't understand what mm-hmm. they mean in the mm-hmm. sense of trust. Yeah. It's, it's, it sounds like you're having trouble trusting and you, you really would like some more uh, reliability or information about where I'm coming from. Okay. Okay. Do, what about asking them what, what, they, what do they mean about trust? Because I think that tr- I always think of trust so as again, so, so if we aspects. There's something about, if, if I say, well, what do you mean by trust? Yeah. That can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. I would, I would want to have the question be more general and say, I really want to understand where you're coming from. Can you tell me more? Okay. I would want to keep it more open. If I'm going to hone in on one word, or that, can be, that could be interpreted in a lot of different ways. So I'm really struggling to understand what you're talking about. Could you, could you give me a little more information? That's great. Tell me more. Yeah, please. You're being emotional. Mm-hmm. So how might you respond? What, what might they be wanting? What, what value or need do they have? I'm hearing that you're confused about my response. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what, so that's the feeling, is that they're confused maybe, and what, what, do, what might they be wanting? So maybe you're wanting some more clarity. If someone says you're being really emotional, what else might they be wanting? What other needs or values might be present for them? Calm, what else? They might be afraid. Uh-huh, they might be afraid, which is an emotion. And if they're afraid, what are they wanting? Safety. Safety. They might want to have the conversation in a more calm way. They might want to... Um, uh, be able to listen in a way that feels more easeful for them. You know, so are you wanting to have this conversation in a way that feels more relaxed and easeful? Right? So again, we're not agreeing with their strategy. We're just trying to see, and again, and again I, I keep saying this because it's so important. We want to have the option to listen. It's not that we're always going to respond in this way. But we want to have the choice to, to just give the person a moment of understanding so that they can feel heard. If they feel heard, they're going to be more willing and likely to listen to us. If they feel like we got where they're coming from. Yeah. 
in the way back. Yeah. And so that apology piece, I'm not sure if that's an, if that's an, it may or may not be an invitation to continue the dialogue. Yeah. That's taking ownership and then, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, I do. It seems to me if I'm like, I think, now I'm shifting the guilt or the shame. I think it really depends on um, where it's coming from and what we mean by I'm sorry. So if someone says, that was harsh, I can say, Oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm sorry. Right? I'm exaggerating it. So it can come from that place, or it can come from like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Right? That's not what I meant. Where it's like the I'm sorry isn't I did something wrong and I'm bad. It's oh, that wasn't what I meant. I'm so sorry I had that impact on you. It's about the state of our consciousness rather than the words. And when that when that that is when that care is genuine, that sense of that sense of that genuine response of of compassion or care that will be felt. And so maybe in that situation, maybe that's the response that feels most authentic, right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It sounds like my words really didn't land in the way I was intending. You were wanting, you were probably just wanting more understanding. Can I try again? And I might make a request, right? Yeah, this gentleman. Yeah, um, for those of us that you've know, been in a difficult relationship, it's kind of funny, I'll just share with you. So I got a little argument with my wife, and she said, don't be trying your Buddhist stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so for those, those of people in your life who you've had relationships for a long, long time, right. maybe your parents, yep. and now you're trying this new approach, yep. um, <laughs> Yeah. how do you do that? Oh, don't be trying that on me. Right. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but... It is. It's... Um... <laughs> So there, there's, there are two or three strategies. So strategy number one is don't change the way that you're speaking, just change the way that you're thinking. So practice with the principles internally at first. So internally be saying, okay, you're probably wanting more understanding. So that in your mind you're shifting where you're coming from. But then just speak naturally and normally. But you're going to be shifting what's happening inside. That's one. Okay. Two, take a transparent route and tell them, I'm trying something new. I'm going to sound really weird. I think this is going to help us actually understand each other and fight less. Would you humor me? Do it not when you're fighting. Have the conversation up front being like, hey, I got this new book by this guy. Like, it's going to sound really weird at first, but will you humor me? My, here's my intention. I really want you to know where I'm coming from. So that's another option. The third option is try it out in situations where you do have more leeway. Try it with friends. Try it with other people who are learning it so that you become more natural and authentic with it until you can try it with the people who are maybe expecting you to speak or behave in a certain way. And then by that time, it's a little bit more integrated. So those are, those are three, three options. Very silent people yeah. who don't want to answer any questions, even Great. when they're super compassionate. Right. Um, especially younger people who might not have a language yet for right. how to talk about their feelings, or people who don't feel comfortable talking about their feelings yeah. and feel like you are over-processing. Yeah. 
Thank you. Um, the question came up on the break from a couple of people. What about stonewalling or when no, there's no communication? So a few different things here. Um, so let's start with over-processing. So what that signals to me is that there are different expectations and styles of communicating. So a lot of, the, a lot of this work is about our level of self-awareness and self-connection. The more clear we are about what's happening for us inside, the more flexibility we have in the conversation and the more choice we have. That doesn't mean we need to share everything that's happening. So we wanna, we wanna match the level that we're speaking and engaging to the context. And a professional context is going to be different than an intimate relationship, which is going to be different than a friendship. And with different friends, it's going to be different. And with different colleagues, it's going to be different. Right? So if we only have one setting, a lot of times that's not going to work because other people aren't going to want to go there. And we're going to get that feedback of like, why are you in my business? Like, I didn't give you permission to talk about my feelings. What's going on here? Right? So... Having developing the capacity to change the level at which we're engaging. Um, and there are different tools for that. Uh, we don't have time to get into it now in terms of how you talk about emotions or whether you talk about them at all or if you only talk about the needs, what level you talk about the needs. If you, Like I was referring to earlier, talking about the need for knowing that I matter versus talking about creating a culture of appreciation. Right? Those are speaking to the same kind of category of need at different levels. So developing versatility and flexibility there so that our deeper needs for intimacy and understanding, we get met in certain relationships, but in other relationships, we're still able to engage in a way that makes sense to people, and that's at their level of comfort and vulnerability. Um, with people who are not communicative or we should say if people who are not responding to us, the silence is their message. So we can, we can offer understanding for that, whether it's verbally or just internally empathizing with it. Right? So if you've, sent a, you've reached out and you've sent a couple of messages to somebody and they haven't replied, one, you don't know if they got, their message, if they, they got your messages. We actually don't know. Um, but if we think we got their messages, then their silence is their message. And so we can, empath- we can empathize with that. Again, whether we communicate it or not, but it might be noticing I haven't heard back from you and I'm wondering if you're just needing more space to think about things. If so, that's fine with me. What would be really helpful is to know if you would like me to reach out or if you would reach out. It could be on your timeline, but are you willing to just tell me that much? Right? That might be a message I might send to someone who hasn't responded. Right? And then if I don't hear back a week later, I might send another message. Guessing you're still just needing more space. Really want to honor that. You know, If it's okay with you, I might reach out in a couple months. Let it be. You know? So I'm empathizing with the message that's being sent in the silence. With young children or you know, who don't have words for their own emotions or needs, one, I'm trying to educate them through the empathy by mirroring or offering back what I think might be happening and just taking guesses. You know, are you feeling frustrated? You were really, I'm guessing you were really enjoying playing with that toy and I'm guessing you were wanting to choose whether or not, you know, I'm guessing you were wanting to choose when, when you stopped playing. 
you know, silence. And I'm guessing you're probably kind of pissed at me. You know. Silence. Wondering if you're just needing a little space to kind of be with what's happening for you right now. I want you to know I'm going to be right over here and anytime you want to talk you just let me know. Right? So I'm just I'm just sending the message. I'm trying to hear and guess what's going on with the other person. Again, it doesn't matter if we get it right or not. It's the it's the because we have such a deep need to be seen and understood and to know that we matter, someone inquiring and reaching towards us will have an effect. Even if it's not accurate. So we have just a few a few more minutes. I know I said we were going to do a little uh, exercise, but I think we've run out of time. But um, these these two things that we did of writing a phrase to pause a conversation or interrupt or taking a guess in response to reflect before you respond, um, you could check this out with anyone in your life. You know, say, hey, in a conversation, if someone said this, how would how would it be for you if I responded in this way? Get some feedback. Talk talk it out. Any any final uh, questions or comments? Yeah, please. A situation where uh, someone said something a while back, yeah, and still wants the friendship, but it's not feeling clean to me, and I need to yeah. go back and right. introduce right the hurtful part right. So, one of the things we haven't talked about explicitly today, which is in my book, but which is a little bit in this model, is something called framing. I think I mentioned it this morning, which is, what's the context we are painting, what's the picture we're painting for the person about this conversation? There are different ways to frame a conversation in terms of shared needs, in terms of appreciation, um, in terms, just very generally... Uh, in terms of our feelings. But in that situation, I might want to start with some kind of framing around my intention. So I might say something like, you know, we've known each other a long time. And I, I think you know that I care about you. And your friendship means a lot to me. And I really want us to, to be able to continue our friendship. I want you in my life. I, re- I would really like that. So I'm leading with what I do want, that I think the other person wants, and I'm letting them know, here's my ultimate aim. Here's why I'm bringing this up. In other words, this is a good thing. Right? I'm holding out the invitation for something that the other person might want also. And then I'm going to share what's in the way of that. So, you know, something happened like, I don't even know, it was a year ago or something that I never brought up that's still kind of eating away at me. And it's getting in the way of me really feeling like my heart's open to you. And I don't like that. I want to be able to just clear the air. Can we find a time to just get down and talk about it so that I can move on? That's, that's how I might... How do you bring it up? So then say, you know, 
I would want to make a clear, so there's a couple of worksheets in your handout, but I would want to make a clear observation of what happened as neutrally as possible. So instead of blaming the person when you were selfish or when you chewed me out, or I would want to say really specifically, you know, I remember you saying something like, um, it's all about you. And then I would want to share my feelings. When you said that, it really hurt. It really went in. And then I would want to share my needs, why it hurt, you know. I've tried really hard to show up for you at different times in our relationship, and I've really gone out of my way to help you. And I wanted to be seen for that. And when you said that, it really kind of totally threw me off. Like, have you not seen any of the ways that I've really tried to be a friend to you? And then I would make a, then I would make a request. And so there's a, a bunch of different requests in there that I, that I would want to make one at a time in the course of the conversation. I would want some understanding. I would want to know, can you imagine why I would feel that way? Can you see where I'm coming from? Eventually, once I felt understood, I would want to know, what was going on for you when you said that? Because it totally didn't make any sense to me. I would want to know, how are we going to deal with this if something comes up next time? Can we make some agreements about how we handle it if one of us feels upset about something the other person says? That's, that's, how, that's how I would approach it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're, we're at the end of our time. So. so, my friends, thank you so much for taking time out of your, out of your week to come here. Um, two, two just quick reminders. If you want to keep going with this training, um, please don't walk out here and just stop. You live in one of the best places in the world to learn this stuff. So if you want to do more training with me, pick up one of my schedules. I have my online course, which just started. You can still join. There are discounts and scholarships, so finances don't need to be an issue. Um, The Living Peace Retreat, which is happening next month down in the mountains of Santa Cruz, five days with my co-trainer, Roxy Manning. It's like an immersion, like living and breathing this stuff for five days. It, It will transform the way you speak and listen. This Living Peace program is followed by an eight-month training program in Berkeley, one weekend a month. That starts in March. So if that's of interest for you, there's a flyer for that out there as well. And um, if none of those work for you, uh, Bay NVC, Bay Area Nonviolent Communication, is right here in Oakland, and they have classes and trainings and other retreats and online uh, uh, calls happening all of the time. Thanks so much. Feel free to sign up for my email list. I'll be back here at Spirit Rock on Monday night and uh, hope to see you again. It's 715. So I do need to catch a flight down to San Diego, so I'm not going to stay and hang out the way I usually do.
If you signed up for CEs, please remember to sign out. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.